I had a fry every day this summer. Go from that building site. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there to the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Ah, yes, the old familiar scent of a Monday morning where Manchester United are in crisis and we're a week into the season. We're one, one day into the season. Uh, good also of Aston Villa to, um, you know, get it over and done with Owen, I would say. Early doors that now I don't really have to care anymore. It's a, it's a, a constant rearguard battling relegation for whoever the next manager is that will come in in six to eight weeks' time. Let's just like start us off with like a, a scorching hot take straight away. Is, is Steven Gerrard actually the front runner? to win the sack race? I don't know if he's going to win the sack race. They let somebody else do that, but he'll be they'll be the ones with the the finger hovering over the button going as soon as somebody else goes we're going we're we're not going to be first, but we're going to be second. Poof, pop. Oh. Oh, look. He's gone. Did you feel signs of this at the end of last season? I'm, I'm like that's Yes, of like course Owen. Of course Owen. Of course we did. Of course we did, but we ignored them because we're sports fans and we're like, "Oh, that's uh, yeah, it's all no, makes perfect sense and in the grand scheme of things when he starts to talk like you know let's have European football let's dream of winning the Europa League maybe you should qualify for the Europa League first but that's okay it's going to happen it's like uh, as, as the Villa fans the intelligent Villa fans on Twitter keep pointing out we appear to have skipped a step the bit where the team got any good you know the bit where you come in and you go oh we're going to we're going to set standards we're going to be go-getters we're going to be a thrusting <laughs> forward movement uh, organisation but then you're actually just shit. That they they skip that bit where you get good and you set a, a team in place and like it doesn't really look like he knows what he's doing, does it? It's it just very, doesn't really look like he knows what he's doing. I, I, I guess my question was more like I think did you vocalise this at the end of last season as well? I don't and everybody know. was like, no, no, no. Uh, Stephen Gerrard, he started his first, he started this job really well and he got a good first three or four results and therefore everything that we've seen recently just doesn't doesn't count. They did plateau at the end of last season, right? Oh, they had a terrible end yeah. of the season. They, like at one stage, at one stage, yeah. at one stage, I was here that they could finish sixth here if they just like start winning, if they can turn the reasonable performances into good performances. But it, I don't know if you remember there was a game against Leeds where they won and that kind of set Leeds in. In well, it pointed out that Leeds weren't very good, mm. but actually Leeds killed them in that game and Villa scored with their two chances. And uh, I was like, eh, doesn't look great here. And then. It's like Tyrone Mings needs to look me in the eye before he can play for this team again. What a like what a big time Billy Big Bollocks stupid <laughs> thing to say. Oh, oh, look me in the eye because we're going to fight. It's like, what? Well, you're a manager. You're a manager now. You're not a player. I suppose this goes back to the one thing that I'm relatively consistent about is if you win the genetic lottery and, you know, you apply your talent uh, apply hard work to your talent you become one of the best footballers in the world the chances of you winning the genetic lottery twice and then also being a really good like top 10% top 2% football manager are very very small and it appears as if Steven Gerrard won the genetic lottery once but not twice yeah. I may well be overreacting to the first game of the season may well no not at all Who knows? How, how could you possibly overreact to the first game of the season but, nobody ever does that yeah fair enough because um, it's, it's not just the first game of the season it is the end of last season and yeah. it's the sounds that he makes about the players instead of like trying to get the squad to be competitive a bunch of players have been burned out and won't play for the they, they won't play again you can see that but they're, they're very valuable players that Villa invested loads of money in 
And Villa are at Man United where the money doesn't matter. The money matters because you have an opportunity cost for it. So uh, that that is one of those. Um, it's good, though, that I don't have to care about this and don't have to feel any uh, emotional investment when I'm, I'm just checking the scores. Going, oh, yeah, they've lost again. I suppose makes sense, doesn't it? Like regular listeners to the to this show will have heard your genetic lottery point before. And what it always says to me is that you're just jealous of somebody potentially winning the genetic lottery twice. You're just jealous of that potential of that eventuality where somebody will come along having had a fantastic football career and well, they are freaks. win a Premier League title. They are, they are, they are the freaks. They are the, the super ones. Um, they are the super ace. They are the master ace, really. Those people who are brilliant at two things, they are the absolute freaks amongst us and we should like be doing all the DNA tests that we can. Because when the robots take over, we want those people fighting them. That's what we want. Just Pep Guardiola, and he's the only person who is so capable Pep, of finding them. Very good footballer, but like not Steven Gerrard class footballer. Yeah, fair. Do you know, like not the superstar. Of, I'm sure if you were to go back now and look at the stats, he was very important and pivotal in the, in the Barcelona team that you know was the first one that ever won the Champions League for his um, European Cup, as it was. And so probably might even be underrated as a footballer, but not like you know, not a guaranteed starter. Not like a world-class superstar, not a Ballon d'Or competitor season in, season out. Like a very, 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 very good footballer. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not, I'm picking nits here, but if you're picking a, a team at the gates of hell to save you, you're picking Steven Gerrard as a footballer ahead of him. Your manager is not even, it's not even a conversation. I tell you what, if you're at the gates of hell and the robots are coming thirsty for your blood, the one thing that will dissuade them from killing you is Stephen Gerrard being like, look me in the eye before you kill me. Exactly. Look me in the eye. Tyrone like means, a man. Look, look me in the eye, Tyrone. It's like, well, well he's actually he's been pretty good for us before you got here. You know, while you were, while you were swanning around Scotland, like, doing whatever it was. <laughs> you know? That's what they call managing rangers, is it? OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We'll get into this a bit more in the performance rankings. Um, I, I noticed there's a bit of yearism going on on behalf of Arsenal in our performance rankings this morning. We'll yeah. get to that in just a second. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Daniel Harris is going to join us at 10 past 8 for a weekly check-in on how things are not going well for Manchester United, it turns out. Sports pages and sports news will call Milani at 8.35. Fiona Hickey is going to look back on... A very dramatic end to the Camogie Ireland yesterday. Kilkenny victorious in the end. Phil Thompson's going to join us at ten past nine. A stuttering start. That might be the, that might be the little gap. Is the, is the title race over? That's the first question we're asking from Liverpool's perspective. At um, ten past nine with Phil Thompson this morning. Then more reaction from Brian Kerr, who will calm the overreaction that we're already <laughs> invested in already this morning here on OTBAM. But at seven thirty-seven, it's time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances, which just lacked that intensity. Boom. Right. It's like May all over again. It felt that every single Monday morning last season we would come on here and that top, very red, very scarlet-looking tab that we have there would just have Manchester United beside it every Monday. And every Monday we'd come in and be like, not again, not again. But it's just the unavoidable task of shoving Manchester United into the bottom of the performance rankings, as has been the case for the last two, three, four, five seasons at this point. They disappointed Sugar Daddy 
Avram Glazer in the flesh yesterday just to make things worse for them and it was quite a comical start to life under Eric Ten Hag. My favourite part, of course, was uh, Danny Welbeck, a uh, former Manchester United reject, running rings around them, but not just running rings around them because he's Danny Welbeck, but also running rings around them because he had a stomach issue during the week. And Graham Potter said he would have strapped the toilet onto his backside to play. It would have slowed him down, though. He would have. He was amazing. <laughs> I think it's a misquote. I think it's, it wouldn't have slowed him down. But we all know that, like, uh, a toilet strapped to your arse would actually have slowed you down. He does know his physics, uh, Graham Potter. And uh, Welbeck was 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 pretty good yesterday. Like, I mean, it, it doesn't help Harry Maguire when his right back goes on a bit of an adventure to try and close down Leandro Trossard and Trossard looks like Iniesta on the left wing playing that ball through, and it's disaster time for United straight away, and that sets the tone for the whole afternoon where if United go a goal down at home right now it seems like it's the most difficult place in the world for them to get a result and both Ten Hag and Harry Maguire said in the aftermath that they just lost some element of belief midway through that first half so that's a really big problem for them at the moment because next time they're playing the theatre of dreams they're going to be thinking about that we can't go 1-0 down we can't get off to a bad start here they need to score first it feels for them to to win at home at the moment It's just a, a glorious reintroduction of some of last season's plot lines which we thought were over it's like the writers are doing an excellent job here you didn't think it was possible that they could tie all these strands together but they managed to do it in 90 minutes where uh, Ronaldo comes off the bench and they score fairly soon afterwards it's like ooh what, what should he have started he said he was fit to start Ten Hag decided he wasn't uh, Fred the Red high-fiving Eric Ten Hag and the crowd going wild in the pre-match it's like it's like they had all blinked away everything that they'd learned from last season and then he picked he picked the last season team. Yeah. Basically just last season team. What? You can't do that. Like people asking the question, will Manchester United be better this season while seeing a team sheet that includes Fred and Scott McCommonday? <laughs> Didn't seem like a, a question that was that was that was a very, very optimistic question, I would we're, have thought. We're gonna play out from the back. It's like we've got a goalkeeper who's not very good at that. Should we do this? Do you think we should go ahead with this, even though like uh, the goalkeeper seems to be slightly again I don't know if there's a collective amnesia but he's grand he's like the highest paid or second highest paid goalkeeper in world football and he's just not good at the thing that Manchester United are trying to do yeah I know like yeah that's obviously a significant problem but imagine if midway through last season you pulled the Manchester United fan aside and was like at the start of next season Christian Eriksen's going to be your starting false nine it is, but like we said that to Manchester United before his miraculous comeback last season. <laughs> like they would be like, "What are you talking about?" And it's honestly been one of the best stories in sport. It's been absolutely fantastic. But I don't think anybody at Manchester United, even at the start of the summer window, even after his miraculous comeback with Brentford, would have said that would be a good way to start next season. And then they've seen that gaping wound and have just gone for the nearest container of salt because apparently Marco Arnautovic is on the way to the club and uh, they're preparing an £8 million bid for a 33-year-old for, for uh, Odeon Agallo 2.0 uh, somebody who brings Chinese football experience to the Premier League uh, were we were, well I don't know I was going to say were we wrong about Mourinho but then he stank the joint out at Spurs afterwards so you have to say no but uh, he says the job he did at Manchester United to get them to second was the best job he's ever done because you've no idea what's going on behind the scenes and I, I'm starting to think he might be right. It's right. It's, right. it's certainly, if he can get that team at the moment to finish second, it's up there with winning the Champions League of Porto. Like, it really is. I mean, this team at the moment stinks. They stink so bad. And they were fighting in the stands. It was a scuffle in the stands. It, that, that, that happens. But it's caught on camera. 
They're all wearing lanyards, though. I, do, do football fans wear lanyards? Is there? I would have thought that maybe that was kind of a posh corporate section or something in the photographs. There's photographs in one of the English papers this morning of um, fighting in the streets. I'm like, wow. Panic in the streets of Manchester, except only on one, one half of the, the um, thing. I, is there an easy way out? Can two, can two good midfielders fix this? Like, if you sub in two world-class midfielders who all of a sudden are good, is that enough to get, get this whole thing fixed? Uh, no, and like when, when you're talking about getting something fixed in the context of Manchester United, you're obviously talking about them becoming uh, title contenders. I think a fix this season is getting them into competition for a top four place, which even at this moment looks like a, a bit of an ask, given the form of, or given just how good some of the teams ahead of them currently look. But like I've seen a very good point made over the past couple of days, and it's that like Ten Hag and his signings and the players that maybe he wants to sign as well as those that he signed if we include De Jong are very Ten Hag players and like that feels like a good thing like if you rewind it's like okay the manager has a good degree of control at the football club but in reality is there anybody else helping him out there is there like a recruitment department that's actually throwing their weight behind this whole thing that it's not actually just Ten Hag's ideas that are being heard and are being executed on like is there joined up thinking higher up in the club or is it simply a situation where it's like what player do you like Eric Grant let's see if we can get the money for him and maybe in some cases we'll be able to make that signing happen granted that, that, could, that could be a bit of a strange argument to make because in general you want your manager to be supported but like reading some of the, the, the writing in the aftermath of yesterday it is like straight back to, to last season and even more intense like Laurie Whitwell in The Athletic had like a couple of cutting paragraphs here. He says, Afterwards, the loudest fans were aligned to Brighton. They stayed to salute their team, and especially Graham Potter, who has reorganised his side amid the loss of two of his most important players in Basuma and Kukurea. It can be revealed United declined an offer to consider Potter in the hunt for Solskjaer's successor due to his lack of Champions League experience. United also stepped away from signing Moise Casiedo, who instead moved to Brighton in February 21 for £4.5 million. The 20-year-old was excellent in midfield at Old Trafford. Danny Welbeck, sold by Louis van Hal, gave a superb display at centre-forward. United started Ericsson up top. And uh, the juxtaposition, even with Brighton at this point, and even with a Liverpool or a Manchester City or a Chelsea or a Spurs, is something that is making them a little bit painful at this point, which kind of shows how, how far they've fallen. Or it just kind of shows how vast the tentacles of Manchester United pain now reach where they can play anybody and you're like, oh, we should have got that guy or we should have got that manager. We had him. We had him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a Caseta with the back heel that set up the, the move for the goal. Yeah, I think so. Uh, there was a brilliant bit of commentary from uh, Brian Kerr where he was talking about, uh, you can, it's all right having a false nine, but it's no good if you've got no one playing nine or 10 or 11. <laughs> They're basically no one playing anywhere at the moment. And you're like, okay, this, uh, this the, the, the new movie is the same as the old movie. Now look, it's his first game and I think from Ten Hag's perspective, we, we, I'm not judging them yet. Yeah, at no all. one's pointing figure at Ten Hag, I don't think. But it's very enjoyable to watch what's going on. No question. <laughs> no question. Like, the thing with Ten Hag is that you would, you would probably think that on the basis of yesterday, he's got a lot to learn. Like, it felt to me, even when they took off one of the midfielders, when they took off Fred in the second half, things didn't diminish. In fact, they got a greater stranglehold of the game. Now, that may be because Brighton were 2 0 up and they were retreating anyway, but it does feel that maybe on the evidence of yesterday, you don't need both McTominay and Fred. Um, but then again, we've been in this position before where you thought Manchester United managers could have come to that clu- conclusion themselves and that they realised that actually they, they kind of have to play them. So, 
Interesting times, to say the very least. Uh, Park Stack says, Q United to go on a three-game unbeaten run. I mean, if the limit of their ambition is a three-game unbeaten run, then perhaps, Park that might be, uh, that might just be possible. We'll, well then, look, we, we just need to soak in this moment because this will be the last time Manchester United will be in the red in the performance rankings. They will not be back here any other Monday morning. Thomas Mara says, Did you know that Steven Gerrard's record at Villa is the same as Gary Neville's at Valencia? 110, wow. drawn five, lost 13, 35% win percentage, and that was before the weekend's match. Wow. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just reading it out from our YouTube comments, <laughs> right? <laughs> it this has not good. been fact-checked. I mean, it sounds good. Like, was 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 Gary Neville's record that good? <laughs> I, I, uh, Frank says no emer- emotional connection, Jerry. After a ten-minute tirade, no, it's true, Frank. I was, I'm like genuinely disappointed. I was looking forward to watching Premier League football where there was a, a hope of something happening. Like, you know, they've signed relatively well. There's like there's a lot to like about the players. Somebody was uh, on the, on Villa Twitter. He was like Pochettino in. I was like, I mean, there are delusions of grandeur, and then there's like, and I was like, could we could we get him? Is that is that possible? What'll happen is Pochettino will take over Aston Villa, beat Manchester United, and Manchester United. Will be like we should have got that manager. Exactly. Well, I would be happy with that. <laughs> that would be a win. Oh, that was it. That would be a win. Right. So uh, the Gary Neville record is true. I'm reliably informed here. The guy Neville. Do we need to like? That's not that bad in Valencia, is it? I mean, what what do they expect? Uh, I suppose um, Valencia, like Villa, expect better. That's it, isn't it? They should expect. They should. They should not have the tyranny of low expectations. I'm 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 uh, I'm discovering this live in the moment here, folks. You can see that. Where's next, Owen? Uh, next is uh, the All Blacks, and uh, let's fast forward to our newspaper segment this morning and bring you some of the uh, not the back pages the front page of the New Zealand Herald this morning it says uh, Ian Foster and the All Blacks it is time for change and uh, it is quite blurry Uh, it's time for an end to Ian Foster's time as head coach of the All Blacks goes at the front of this morning's New Zealand Herald the Herald takes no pleasure in calling for him to go but Foster a decent man who is out of his depth in a brutal business must exit the role whether he is paid out to leave as he should be, or he voluntarily step aside. So uh, the biggest newspaper in the country of the All Blacks has taken an editorial stance on the All Blacks head coach, which is just a remarkable step. We've been told that uh, the All Blacks don't really get into the business of, of sacking head coaches, but the pressure at this point seems to have mounted that you can't really see him surviving beyond next weekend should they lose once again in South Africa. And it will be a hell of a turnaround for them not to lose once again in South Africa. The Springboks beating them with their largest margin of victory in 94 years on Saturday. 26-10 was the full-time score and it could have been so much worse as well. I think Mark Kilhan in uh, one of the South African papers was saying that uh, somebody, the All Blacks uh, are imposters to the legacy of the All Blacks and wouldn't be fit to tie the laces of some of those giants in black and it could have been closer to a 30-point differential but the respect the boys in green have for those in black kept it reasonable. So it's Ellis Park this weekend and done for Ian Foster if, you're, um, if your eyes are open at all to, to what's going on at the moment. And is, the other question is who comes in. Is he suggesting that the, the Springboks went easy on them there? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, the Springboks took pity on the All Blacks, according to Mark Johan, which uh, is really not what you want to be seeing as a, as a New Zealand supporter. But we were told after the series defeat to Ireland that he had two games to save his job and the first of those two games has gone badly, badly wrong for him. I did see it's Argentina in back-to-back games after that, so maybe if he survives this weekend, Just, it's like repeat Argentina twice at home. I mean, really, if you were thinking strategically, and we know Razzie does, 
do you just put out a team and go, lads, look, let's keep this, let's keep this chump in charge here for the World Cup because obviously he ain't going to fix this. So let's lose this game, but store it in your memory bank. Let them win the two games against Argentina. Let them, you know, oh, we've we've changed, we're better, and then let's just crush them in the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, could, could Rassi possibly overthink something in such a way? That's not overthinking. That's like that's, that's like one step ahead. That's not proper chess at all. That's like here, listen, these yeah. guys, come on. Like we, we we assume that a coaching change will automatically lead to the All Blacks winning the World Cup. They're down to fifth now in the world rankings. I think it might be their lowest ever spot in the world rankings. England have now leapfrogged them into into the top four in the world rankings. But like I mean, some of the the writing we've seen over the last couple of months has been these players aren't fit to lace Legends boots. They just aren't good enough. Like their their skill execution. Uh, has been very, very poor and they look very, very blunt in attack. Like you give the All Blacks the ball now and you're happy enough that they, they might not be able to cause you too much damage unless one of their individuals comes up with something special. So is this actually just a, a really poor generation of players, relatively speaking, that just aren't going to be a contender at all at, at next year's World Cup? Are, are we just overthinking this entirely? Like Because that does seem to be the fear at the moment, that like France, for example, are waking up this morning and being like, what are you doing, South Africa? Stop, stop. Let's Ian Foster bring them into the next World Cup. That's one other contender uh, uh, away from from our quest to, to win our home World Cup. So I don't know. Like maybe maybe Razor is like the uh, the the guy that they they all speak about down there is like the, the next great coach, and he's going to be the person who who brings them to glory. And that'll be really interesting to to see him in charge. But um, himself, Robertson or Schmidt, you you would think is going to be All Blacks coach going into next year's World Cup. Um. It will be interesting to see how quickly they make the change because the, the clamour for change is now, it appears so great that change is coming. And um, again, you know, it's great of the writers to be able to tie all this together in season two. We thought that maybe it was... Anyway, uh, uh, right, so f- a few more. Um, United are nearly gone bad enough to have their own all-or-nothing documentary, says John Claffey. Um <laughs> I forgot this show turns into the Manchester United finger-pointing hour every August. Well, last year it lasted a bit longer than August. Oh, we went all the way to April, May. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, you've misspelled every Monday, says uh, somebody else talking to him about that. Okay, so what's next? They're, they're the red this week. We we pity you, you All Blacks. We, we you know, we, we're sorry for your trouble and we're really enjoying it. Uh, next up is just Irish in action uh, this weekend in English football. A bit of a mixed bag. It was good to see a couple of debuts. Obviously, seeing Gavin Bazuni start for Southampton was brilliant. He made a couple of good saves. Wasn't much he could do about the goals. He did concede four of them. We'll get to Spurs in a moment. Spurs were exceptional, to be fair. And they, they look uh, a hell of an outfit this season, even better than how they finished last season. And then obviously the other big debutant in the Premier League was Nathan Collins, who uh, also had a, had a bad result to kind of stick down beside his name for his uh, full, I guess, um, Wolves debut anyway. Um, so Leeds beat them late on. There was a, a bit of a... Not a schmazzle, there was a bit of a, a disagreement between Jesse Marsh and Bruno Lage on the sideline afterwards. That was kind of the big takeaway for, from that game. But Nathan Collins obviously comes away with a defeat. I, I don't think, again, you could be pointing the finger too much at him. So a bit of a mixed bag on that front. Uh, you had Conor Ronan and Joe Hodge on the bench rules as well for that game. So that'll be one to keep an eye on as the season develops. But I guess the big winner in the Premier League from an Irish perspective was Mark Travers, Bournemouth with that result, obviously. Uh, you'll have been paying close attention to that year. It was a great result, clean sheet for him. The thing is, they have signed someone else in goals. They bought a 33-year-old Neto from Barcelona. You'd like to think that as a 33-year-old, he will be back up to Mark Travers. 
but uh, as his first season back in the Premier League you might think he's walking something of a tightrope that if he goes out of form or anything like that they do have another guy in there but there's no sign that that's going to happen so um, yeah as I say a bit of a mixed return from Irish players it's going to be really interesting to see what happens as Spurs continue on this run with uh, Matt Doherty and if he'll get minutes Emerson looked good at the weekend uh, Matt Doherty sprung late on from the bench you'd like to think with the way Conte was talking about last season that in some competition at least Doherty will get a very good opportunity to stake his claim in that starting 11 and may well get back in there and may well keep that as the season goes on and then you had Shane Duffy of course who came on in injury time for Fulham as well and then there was just a, a couple of uh, really positive stories from the championship I'm not sure did you see that stat on Saturday Era Guide had it that 11% of the players that started in the championship on Saturday were Irish uh, 21 out of uh, 198 of them so um, this is our league now if we want to look at uh, Irish players Shane Long obviously scoring for Reading on his return you had uh, James McLean scoring you had uh, Will Smallbone winning man of the match on his full debut uh, on loan with Stoke City so positive news uh, the other thing then further afield and it's kind of one that we're going to be keeping an eye on as the season goes on is uh, the Irish footballers in Italy and uh, Aaron Connolly uh, missed his chance to make his Coppa Italia debut because of a Covid issue again so he's been pretty unlucky on that front uh, down through the years so uh, we'll have to wait to see him uh, over the next few weeks. So, uh, Amber, fair enough, I think, for Irish players. Uh, and hopefully uh, things start ticking into green. Because, as I say, I think Nathan Collins and Gavin Bazunu, um they had uh, tough days at the office on Saturday, but neither can be uh, criticised too much. Yeah, I did see a little bit of backlash about the fact that Conor Cody's not in the Wolves team. And so, I don't know, can they play together? Is Cody on the way out? I'm not sure. Um, uh, it was Ian Dark who was actually tweeting about that. And uh, I didn't... Uh, like with Pizzuno, what do you do? You know, he he just has to play. It's going to be a long season for Southampton. If you look at their transfer business, it's very strange that like most of their business is loan or um, city youngsters, and they're they're in the hunt for a bunch of loan players still. So there's there's a lot of business still to be done that will really des- decide which of those teams at the bottom in that bottom ten have enough quality to survive. You hope that from Southampton's perspective they do because it would be great for him to play in a team that had a bit of confidence and had some victories he's definitely going to be busy he's definitely going to get a lot of experience this season and like ultimately as a goalkeeper that's not a bad thing really No absolutely not and I think somebody had it as well at the weekend that it's, it's only four years since he made his debut for Shamrock Rovers so this has been a, a very quick ascent from a 16 year old into a 20 year old who's just made his Premier League debut so uh, the, the thing is like there have been cases where a team is rooted to a relegation battle which I think Southampton may well be all this season and a defender or a goalkeeper just really stands out and people can see the wood from the trees you're not like oh that guy can see the four goals therefore he's a bad goalkeeper I think already from Saturday people are like uh, I think Bazzini played well in spite of the fact that his team were under the cosh for pretty much the entire game and I wouldn't be surprised to see that narrative develop over the course of the season where Southampton are bad but Southampton have a few bright sparks and Gavin Bazunu being one of those bright sparks and him not necessarily being a championship player next year even if Southampton are a championship team Yeah Il Pacino 88 says uh, Gavin Bazunu is great for the Saints really shocked by the level of criticism that he's got from the Saints supporters no chance for any of the goals that's going to happen uh, I didn't realise there was like a, I saw that there was like um, Portsmouth fans are right getting quite a bit of joy in Gavin Bazunu uh, conceding four goals which is just bizarre really given um, it was always going to be a temporary uh, sojourn to, to Portsmouth, but uh, I hadn't really seen the Southampton fans giving him a stick. Uh, OK. Um, 
Pogba has a lot to answer for yesterday, says Damien Fury. It's true. <laughs> it is true, really. His, his attitude has infested the club so badly that it still hangs over even though he's not there. His attitude stunk yesterday. Oh, it was terrible. You, you couldn't see it. Body language. He, he was anonymous. Absolutely anonymous. Um, yeah, all right. But What's next? Lads, it's Tottenham in uh, the green this week. You say, you say I'm a year away Arsenal's chances and we can talk about them in a minute. Maybe North London should have just been in the, the green in the performance rankings but Tottenham Hotspur other than maybe like uh, an individual performance of like Erling Haaland I think Tottenham Hotspur was the most striking performance from the weekend. I think it's nothing new. A lot of people would have predicted them to potentially even break the duopoly at the top of the Premier League this season. I say wait and see for, for just a couple of months before we can actually rush to that conclusion. But it's very hard to make a case that they're going to finish below Chelsea or below Arsenal or below Manchester United this season. I, don't, I, I think they will finish third at worst this year. And it, that, that might be getting carried away with the first game of the season. But the evidence was there from last year. They have arguably the third best manager in the Premier League. Himself versus Tuchel maybe is a, is a battle for that. You can make a case he's better than Tuchel. The attacking talent they had before Conte came in was excellent. And then they brought in Kulisevsky last season he is you know he's doing great things for, for ginger people let alone for Tottenham fans and uh, he is uh, heralded as one of their heroes now at this point you've got Richarlison still to make an impact you've Perisic come off the bench at the weekend again somebody who wasn't even there from the start uh, of, of the game and they were just awesome it was just a complete barrage on Gavin Bazunu's goal obviously J- James Ward-Prowse scores a, a brilliant goal in the first half but other than that, maybe they had one other chance. Other than that, there was no real opportunities. And Spurs, they're going to score a lot of goals this season. And they're going to be battling on two fronts, obviously. And that's why they've had to inflate the squad a little bit this season. But I think this Sunday they play Chelsea and that'll be an early marker for Tottenham. Like It, it does feel like it's already a bit of a, a, a crossroads, if I can go that far. Because if they lose to Chelsea on Sunday, it kind of feels like what I'm saying right now <laughs> just blows up straight away and it's like, well, that's a significant blow uh, immediately. Whereas now it feels like they're in a position to be like, we're better than Chelsea. We're, and I don't think anybody's making an argument that Arsenal or Manchester United are, are better than Tottenham. But I think when it comes, you can make an argument about Chelsea possibly being better than Tottenham and this Sunday Spurs can be like, nah, we're better than Chelsea. So I, I think it's relatively high stakes this Sunday and it's, it's really a really exciting game. early game. Yeah. It, is, it is a big game. Um, I, I, again, because it's so early, teams will find form and teams will find rhythms and some of the signings will start to get match fit and all that so there's still massive improvement to be made by these but the thing is that it seems like Spurs are doing this off an architecture that they put in last year that really suits the group that really suits the team that they have all responded to Conte's probings the wildness from that after the Burnley defeat last year that seems to have sparked something and the run that they're on has continued like they do appear to be getting on quite well as individuals and as a collective and you know we've seen under him in the past players have improved so he's clearly a good coach as in whatever coaching system and and ticket he has with him gets the players to be better their transfers last year in the uh, window immediately impacted the team he didn't play most of the the, um, transfers at the weekend so he's still got room to step this up and improve it and mix things around a bit so I would be very 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 excited if I was a Spurs fan definitely like the the subs bench was it was one of the best Spurs subs benches I've seen in a while on Saturday um, so like a flavour of it is like Matt Doherty Davinson Sanchez Perisic Fraser Forster Jed Spence Lucas Mora Longley Basuma that was their bench 
like the the depth they have now means that like you'd be, you'd be thinking maybe if City and Liverpool are still just a couple of inches ahead of them on a Premier League race, this feels like a squad that could do something in Europe, especially under Conte as well, where uh, like they did under Poch all those years ago. They could they could cause an upset or two, and it wouldn't even be that much of an upset given some of the attacking talent they have. But like we talk about Manchester United and and some of the the players that seem unsavable or players that continue to let them down, it feels that there's been like a, a change in mentality with a couple of these Spurs players. Like the Eric Dyer, for example, just looks a lot more reliable. It helps to be two, I guess, centre backs, maybe one and a half centre backs beside him on Saturday as well. And you've got the likes of Christian Romero and, and Davinson Sanchez in the squad who are really, really good. And obviously Longley has come in. So it'll help that he's going to be playing alongside quality players. And maybe Dyer won't even be in the first choice defence come the mid part of the season. But these are all just brilliant questions for Conte to, to answer. And he was jumping around like a madman on Saturday afternoon as well. He's really into this job. And I think he made the point that maybe this could be a, a mid-term gig for Conte. Because yeah. that's long-term in, in Conte, Conte years. You know, everybody says, oh, it's Conte. He doesn't... Like, we, Martin Lippert was like, oh, it's Conte. He never stays. But, like, he never stays because there's a reason to go. Like, mm. uh, the, the job he did at Juventus and then the job with Italy... And then it was like, okay, I'm going to the Premier League, but it was Abramovich, so it was never going yeah. to last. And then after that, the job he does at Inter, but Inter are completely broken, set his best players, like, screw this, I'm out of here. Like, that doesn't mean that he will always leave because he always leaves. Um, I think London might have its charms if you're earning 10, 15 million a year. You might be able to have a nice lifestyle there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like, I think if you're playing, if you're starting a new um, career in football manager right now like Tottenham would be one of the teams you would pick like it's an exciting job on, on, objectively speaking so Conte is probably going to be energised by this for a while because chances are they won't win the Premier League this season they won't win the Champions League but they might come close and the next season they're like can we come closer so it's exciting they're constantly in the hunt it feels uh, and again look we're, we're um, they beat Southampton on Saturday so it's uh, and, and we already said that Southampton could be in a relegation battle so I think the excitement is more a continuation from last season as opposed to just getting carried away with Saturday and to be fair, this Sunday they do come up against the Chelsea side who, well, I mean, they were I, I want to say fortunate on Saturday but they, they grounded out on Saturday. There's still different parts of that team that look really impressive like Koulibaly was, was excellent on, on Saturday evening, I thought, and Thiago Silva as well and Sterling just looks like somebody who's going to fit seamlessly into that Chelsea attack. So Thiago Silva is Tom afternoon. Brady, like at this stage, he's still playing at a very high level, at a very advanced age it is remarkable that he's able to do so Um they do have £105 million invested in their left wing-back position. It seems quite high. Uh, Chelsea? Yeah. It's like, uh, how do we get to this situation? Kukurea, yeah. Like, I mean, um, Tuchel is making the point that he could play along the maybe other positions in the back, three slash five. I hope so. I want a little yeah. bit of flexibility for all that money. Like, he's um, a few million. You'd get Erling Haaland and have a few million spare for what they paid for Kukurea. Well, the fees that have been reported publicly anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's it. just like... Um, the the new owner is spending his money. He's got a big wad of cash in his pocket, and he wants to get something for it. He does. He Shiny wants to new. Yeah, and he wants to be associated with other teams. Nice punch in the face to Man City as well. It's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. So you know, he's got. We've got an activist owner who's centrally involved in the stuff. Is that a good or bad thing? Well, I think it tells us that we can never properly write Chelsea out of contention any season. It, it, it seems foolish. To, uh, what I just said, which is that Spurs will probably finish ahead of Chelsea because. I'm, they're always around. Yeah, but I, will Tuchel like this? Because say, say the team loses next week against Spurs and uh, he decides, Tuchel decides to like not pick one of the players or to sub off one of the players that uh, the new owner has been personally invested in signing. Just It all feels a little bit 
Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys to me. That, like, it's gonna, there's going to be splashy stuff and he's going to be talking a lot. And it's like, oh, I firmly believe this coach is going to win the Champions League for me because, you know, he's already done it. But not for me. Uh, so, I don't know. I see that one. I, I, you can see him just being an American version of Abramovich. Yeah, yeah. And there, there could be a, a number of, of really silly signings that they make. Like, I'm not sure Kukurea is, is going to be that, though. Is I, I, like, I, I think it's a probably a very good signing. Yeah. It's just that it was very expensive and it seemed like it was done purely out of spite to Man City. Yeah. Like, did we see the, uh, the Chelsea tweet as well, uh, announcing the signing? Like, um, apologies, I'm going to like, completely butcher this, but Brighton obviously put up a, a tweet a few days previously being like, contrary to media reports, Sky Sports News and uh, Fabrizio Romano, uh, we have not reached an agreement with uh, Chelsea Football Club for the sale of any player. And then two days later, after the signing was completed, Chelsea were like, club communication. Uh, contrary to media reports, we have reached an agreement with uh, Brighton and Hove Albion for the signing of uh, Marco Correa. Um, like, salty admin probably just Todd Bowley he's got the password to the Twitter account he does you, I would not be surprised if he has that all those passwords uh, okay so that's that situation you have completely I, I, you must you must be very excited for all the despair that I feel after the opening day of the season you must be very very excited about Arsenal not doing what they did last year and ruining the start of the first six months of the year not giving you any uh, chance to get into this yes these are my boys they are your boys yeah it would just be hap- it would just be great if this had all happened like 12 months earlier because there is just a chance that Spurs and Chelsea are just going to be too good and better than Arsenal all season even though Arsenal looked like they could be very good all season like Gabriel Jesus looked good on Friday night it's like you sign a proven player from the Premier League and he looks like a proven player in the Premier League Zinchenko looked good and of course they're a shiny new thing and that'll be great and they've got their Premier League medals um, so like, there's no real surprise there but William Saliba at, at centre-back was possibly the most important performance to look out for on Friday night and, and he excelled as well and he talked about options in the heart of the Tottenham defence well Arsenal are going to have that exact same thing as well as soon as uh, they've got their full choice full backs back with, with Tommy Yasu coming back in at right back who's actually going to be their um, centre back partnership so Mikel Arteta also has good headaches to deal with Fabio Vieira is going to come into that midfield and things look very rosy all of a sudden for Arsenal I still doubt that they'll finish any higher than fourth but they're in the conversation for fourth and uh, I think they kind of need to get it for this project to look optimistic at the end of the season Well they also are playing really exciting football with uh, one of the most talented group of kids playing football anywhere in the world at the moment that's the best part right? Yeah, no, it is, to be fair. And like, it's Martinelli and Saka on, on um, Friday night as well looked really good. And obviously the goal, the goal scores essentially, I know Saka's was uh, an own goal in the end. But yeah, that's, that's the really exciting part about it all. And as I say, Saliba has been part of that coterie of young players that have been talked about at Arsenal for quite some time. And Saliba was filed under Aubameyang slash Ozil just a, a few years ago where I thought that Arteta didn't fancy him and Arteta was going to get it all wrong. And maybe he actually got this one right. And uh, like, it, it seems that if he comes and, and, and plays a lot of games this season and, and is really good, he'll have been proven right in that regard. So that is definitely the most exciting part about it. These, these players that maybe not a whole pot of people would have known about until they actually came through the, the ranks at Arsenal or were signed by Arsenal at a very young age. Um, that, that gives you hope that the recruitment and the processes in place behind the scenes are actually working. All right, uh, Connor Cody going to Everton on loan. It looks like um, so the Wolves fans can cry all they want, but he ain't going to be playing football for them this year. It looks like um, there is apparently a medical underway, depending on what you're reading this morning, uh, with regards to that one. The other thing, of course, is that uh, Chelsea signed Karni Chukwemeka for twenty yeah. million from Villa. Villa's best player is no longer at Villa because 
they couldn't give him enough game time last season. It's like, really? Really? Yeah. He, and, like, what's he, what's he going to do at Chelsea this season? Like, maybe he's, like, ready to break through and, and play for a top-six club now, but it felt like Aston Villa was almost the perfect level for him. And uh, I wouldn't have even been surprised if it was, like, Chelsea buying him and then put him straight back on loan to Villa because maybe that's what he needs at this point. But maybe not. Like, he does look absolutely class, so he, he could play a significant amount for Chelsea this season. We'll see. We will see. Um, I wish him all the very best. Next. Uh, the last thing in our performance rankings this morning is Kilkenny, All-Ireland Camogie champions once again. It looked like it was going to be relatively easy for them. They were twenty, or they were six points up after 20 minutes and then Cork just uh, raced back into the game before half-time and I think Cork were two points up with three minutes left to play. I think we all predicted Kilkenny in our quick picks on Friday as well and I was like, this is how it goes. You know, we've... Uh, put the hex on Kilkenny once again but Sophie Dwyer comes up with this dramatic late goal and it's not a goal to win the game because Cork come back into it and then uh, Kilkenny needs to get a late free to, to actually win the game themselves but uh, that Sophie Dwyer goal was was really important and I think the drama kind of holds given her uh, arc her story arc this season where she walks away from the intermediate panel at the start of the year says I'm good enough to play for the senior team Brian Dowling was talking about this after the game yesterday and he was like you know, she, she wasn't in the starting 15 and, and she wasn't in the starting 15 even at the end of the season and she was struggling to get game time and it was only as the summer started to heat up that she started to get more significant game time off the bench and put in really big contributions as the season wore on and then yesterday coming off the bench made the biggest contribution of all to score the goal that wins the game and Kilkenny maybe there was questions a few years ago about them being in tight games and where their metal was I think yesterday they've proven that actually when the game's in the melting pot they're as good as any team uh, as actually getting uh, at getting a win in, in those tight situations obviously devastated by the semi-final defeat last year and they seem to have turned it down Head yesterday. I still think that it was <laughs> very, very close. That like we can draw these grand conclusions about Kilkenny Metal and all that, and still, last puck of the game, Ashley Thompson has the ball in her hand, and it goes wide. And when she when she goes for that effort, I'm thinking, right, uh, this is this is a draw. We're going to another day here, but it just drifts wide. And sometimes that happens. And um, Kilkenny, they will write the the story of yesterday because they are the victors, and it's been a hell of a 2020 or 2022 for them on so many levels just given the personal tragedies that have struck the management team and and then obviously all the people who've retired uh, players travelling uh, you, uh, a couple of players who, who did uh, cruciates um, two sisters the, the Doyle sisters did cruciates uh, within weeks of each other at the start of the season so all this sort of stuff kind of built up over the course of the year and it's uh, it's been a hell of a journey that they've been on this season and they they just about got it done yesterday We're going to come back to this a little bit later on with Fiona Hickey but um, before that let's hear from Kilkenny's Laura Murphy here talking with Ashing O'Reilly in Croker yesterday after they won the All-Ireland Laura, congratulations. I'm not going to keep you long. As I said, I'll let you get back to the dressing room. It's one of the best bits after winning All-Ireland, I'm sure, to get in there, see all the girls. It must be great stuff at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you look, we, we said at half time, we're either going to be coming in here, heads down, looking at our boots, or you know, the Adolfi will be in, in the middle of the dressing room. And just such an unbelievable feeling uh, to be going back into that dressing room now, knowing that the girls would all be jumping around the place and just delighted. <laughs> At halftime, you were level. You had went six points clear at one stage. Cork hadn't scored. You must have thought then going in at halftime that they sort of got a bit of momentum and, you know, you didn't want to be going in level after having a six-point lead. 
Uh, no, absolutely not. But look, uh, I knew myself, as did all the girls, like six points up, we knew Cork were going to have a, a purple patch. And, you know, oh my God, they did. Like, they came back, level going in at half time. Uh, and we knew that the second half was just going to be a dogfight. Um, and, you know, it was that they threw everything at us and it took everything in us uh, to come out the right side of that, including a, a little bit of luck at the end. Absolutely. What was it like out on the pitch? It looked like it was a really physical game. And the sun was beaming down as well to add to matters. Yeah, uh, look, it was just uh, took an incredible amount of hard work and, you know, fitness. Oh, my God, the, the running, you know, Cork's game, they're, they're so quick and they're constantly looking for the ball up and down the pitch. You know, it's end line to end line stuff. And, uh, you know, with the weather today, it was, it was a, definitely a tough one. And as you said, a little bit of luck. Sophie Dwyer, she managed to pull on the ball. It rebounded back out. She did exactly the right thing, pulled on it hard and went in the back of the net. What were you thinking then? I was just absolutely delighted and just, you know, need to push on now for the last couple of minutes. But, you know, it's credit to Sophie. She's been, um, you know, immense. She's come into a little bit of form uh, towards the end of the year. And, you know, we say it all the time. It's not just the 15 players. It's the five players that come on. It's the other 10 girls that are on the the panel as well, pushing all the time. And, you know, we needed those girls coming in off the bench today because, you know, it wouldn't happen otherwise. You've lost a lot of girls this year through retirements, travelling, injuries, all that sort of thing. A lot of people maybe at the start of the year would have wrote Kilkenny off that, you know, there's too many girls gone, they're not going to be able to do it this year, and here you are. Uh, yeah, uh, definitely, and look, I suppose that makes it a little bit sweeter, and, uh, you know, when a door closes for one, it opens for another, and, you know, you've seen Tiffany today, you know, 19 years of age, up the pitch, you know, corner back, over the bar, you know, I think it's, it might, that's definitely her, her first point in championship this year and, you know, what a way to get it and as I said, you know, Tiffany is one of those players, she took our opportunity this year and had an unbelievable season. And the management, what have you made in this year? Uh, I just will never come across a, a management team like the lads, they're unbelievable, the work they put in behind the scenes is, you know, they're credit to themselves and, um, you know, they're, they're you know, Training is different every day you go. The work that's put in, um, they're, they're unbelievable. And you'll enjoy the celebrations now you get back to Kilkenny tonight? Yeah, there'll be no fear that we'll be well able to enjoy this one. Thanks, Thanks very much. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. All right, 16 minutes past eight. Time to look at the opening day defeat at Manchester United. I'm glad to say Daniel Harris is with us to um, revisit some familiar storylines. Daniel, good morning to you. How are you? Um, good thanks. Hi everyone. How are you? The uh, new season is the same as the old season. It turns out with the same plot lines. <laughs> Goodness me. Same, same characters. <laughs> I love. I mean, it's in some ways, I guess, this was more, more dispiriting than anything that happened last season, especially in the second half of the season, because ultimately that was a temporary state of affairs. So you hope that they, the players turn it off because they know the manager's not going to be there. There'll be another long one along shortly. But actually, so then for the new manager to turn up and for it to be every bit as unremittingly awful is extremely problematic. My favourite new subgenre of Twitter are the Ranyuk truthers who are like, well, you were pouring scorn <laughs> on him last year when he was telling you the truth. You better sing his name now. He was a genius. It's like, <laughs> I'm not sure. I, that, I mean, I don't think, I think it's not about that Ranyuk was a genius. He did say, he, he identified a lot of obvious problems. He didn't, have either the scope or the chops to change them but I think he knew he knew how dreadful it was and he said so um the problem is that the stuff he recommended and I'm sure the stuff that um Eric Tanakh has recommended the board haven't done and the answer to everything is not by spending loads of money on players but if you look at what's going on above United that is a lot of the answers 
Liverpool and Man City both needed strikers, so they went and bought the best strikers available. United wanted Darwin Nunez, but weren't allowed to pursue the interest because Ten Hag wanted, um, wanted Frankie De Jong more, and the money that they would have spent on Nunez was committed to De Jong, when actually, of course, they need both of those players. Then if you look at Arsenal and Tottenham, Arsenal have spent more money than any club in the world over the last year. And Tottenham also, Antonio Conte made it basically a resignation issue, didn't he, really? Where he more or less forced Daniel Levy to back him because if he didn't, he'd have left. And then at that point, if you've got a manager as good as Antonio Conte and he leaves, following other managers leaving, it makes the job toxic. And I think that is where United are right now, where it feels like Eric Ten Hag is sort of the last vestige of the club pretending that it's a football club and more than just a trust fund. Because if this one fails, if they go and get um, a manager who looks like he's on the way up rather than on the way down, and previously Mourinho and Van Gaal, the two big names that United had post Fergie, were both on the way down. But you go and get a man who has modern coaching ideas and believes in all the right stuff and all the buzzwords, has done it at Ajax, and then United fail him then at that point, it makes the job toxic. Because what was meant to happen this summer, you hear all the phrases, cultural reboot, rebuilding the team, all, all this kind of thing. And what have they done? They've signed a young left-back as either backup for Shaw or to eventually take over from Shaw, a centre-back, and Christian Eriksen for free. The two main things that this team needed were a midfield player, a holding midfield player, or whatever you want to call it, and a striker. And neither of those things have happened. And more than that, yesterday <laughs> they're trying to sign Marko Arnautovic, which is just such mind-bogglingly awful behaviour that is really quite hard to fathom because we've done this before. And that's even before we look at all the dreadful stuff Arnautovic has done that has nothing to do with his actual ability to play football, which also isn't good enough. Um to talk about the, the, the team itself and the performance, are there any signs of what he's trying to do? Because, you know, this is the first game. It's the first 90 minutes. And I, I get that it's very dispiriting because the same things uh, that happened last year. There is a possibility his coaching will improve the players who are already there. It's hard to, to you know, find any evidence to back up that from yesterday's performance. But maybe after five, ten games, some of those players start to play better. You would hope yeah, that, I agree. You know, I agree. I agree that it's absolutely his job to make better the players that he has. That is that is absolutely his job. I thought that um, I thought they got the team wrong yesterday. Um, that he Ericsson, Christian Eriksson was playing as a false nine. Here's a player you need with the play in front of him, not with the play behind him. And um, more than that, he's one of your most intelligent passers. And one of the things United struggled to do was move the ball through midfield. Um, and also, United didn't have anyone to hit when they tried to get the ball forward, there was no one to play off. I think that to some extent, Ten Huff nailed it and the problem with this team. Uh, afterwards, he said that they started well, and that's true. I think if Bruno scores a really easy chance that he had, we're probably talking about a different game because United were playing quite well at that point. But the second that things went against them, they collapsed and they regressed into all their old bad habits. And that is, there's, there's a softness, there's a weakness about this team. And it's been like that for quite some time. And it's hard to see how you can change that without changing a few more of the players because these, these players have form for that and then suddenly becoming mentally tough in their mid-20s just seems quite unlikely because people don't tend to change like that. And 
although you would expect Ten Hag to be able to improve the players over time, to improve them individually and to improve the way they interact with each other on the pitch, he's not, he's not a miracle worker. He's not, he's not going to turn Fred into Lothar Mateus. That's not going to happen. He might be able to get a bit more out of Fred than others do, but the bottom line is that what you have in the United squad, I think, is you have players who, quite a few players, who might be good enough as first reserves or who, if you stuck them in a fully functioning team, you'd get a good shift out of. But you can't get a good team out of too many of those players. United have way too many of those players. Do you think that there is a possibility that... Eric Ten Hag now turns to those above him at the football club and says, look, this is what we are now dealing with. I mean, Avram Glazer was there yesterday to see it in all its glory. Do you think that there is uh, uh, that there might actually be hope at the end of this transfer window because of what happened yesterday? Uh, I mean, possibly. It, it just depends because you don't know what the Glazers' plan for United is. Previously, the plan hasn't really been to challenge for league titles. It's to try and get into the top four, spending as little money as possible, and maybe, and then hope that something miraculous happens. But yeah, sitting there yesterday, perhaps. But I mean, these are the conversations that I'm sure have been happening for the last few weeks. I don't imagine Ten Hag has been sitting there saying, "I don't need a new striker. I'm not desperate for a new striker." Now, Anthony Martial getting injured made that much more apparent, um, and Cristiano Ronaldo not being available made that much more apparent. But I'd be surprised if these weren't conversations that were being had because what would have happened is someone would have sold Ten Hag a vision for the club. It might not have been the Glazers, it might have been John Murtagh, it might have been Darren Fletcher, it might have been all of them. And I can't imagine that what they told him was going to be the case is now the case. I don't believe for a second that they said, we will get you a deputy left-back, a Sandro Martinez and Christian Eriksen for free. You can't reboot a club with that. Uh, that is, those players might all be good players. I mean, Tyrell Madassia looks a really good player. I can totally see why they signed him based on what I've seen from him so far. Christian Eriksen, we know, is a good player. The Sandro Martinez had a dreadful first half yesterday. They got a bit better, but you, could, you have to trust the manager at some point that he knows what he's bought there. But those three things are not going to turn a, a club that finished sixth and actually was a bit lucky to finish sixth into a club that's pushing the teams that finished above that have gone and invested again it's just not it's just not going to happen and I, I I don't believe that Ten Hag waited until yesterday to say those things uh, I hope that what happened yesterday will focus the Glazers minds on their need to get money out because really that's the only thing that motivates them they don't care about football they don't care about United it's just how it affects their bottom line so I hope that what they saw yesterday made them think that but it may well not have done I accept that this question is like a complete week one overreaction, but you mentioned Antonio Conte and his resignation issue last year. Where does Manchester United need to go to from here for this to become a resignation issue for Eric Ten Hag if what you're saying there, which is probably the truth, that he expected something different to happen over the course of the last two months? Uh, I think that he he will know what's going on inside the club, but he may... I, I don't think he will make it a resignation issue, but if he did that would give the board a question to answer because at that point, if, if you get that manager and then, then he, he does one in the first three weeks of the season because you lied to him <laughs> about what you were going to do, that oh, doesn't God. look good and finding your next manager and therefore getting good. your next dividends are good. problematic. Good content though, Daniel. It will be good content. <laughs> that, well, that's what United are. They're a content provider. They're, they're, like I, said they, I said they weren't a football club anymore. They're a trust fund. But yeah, they're also a content provider. Um, yeah, a sitcom, <laughs> farce, all the all the all these many different things. There are many faces of Manchester United, 
and the football club is not really one of them anymore. But we do need like we do need some perspective that Lissandro Martinez will play better than that. Um, we were Anthony Martial or Cristiano Ronaldo will play up front, and neither of them is the right man to play up front. But just having them up front will make it better. We'll let Christian Eriksen play deeper, and it will then get better. Presumably, they're not done buying players. There is something just extremely awful about spending cash mo- cash, cash money on Marco Arnautovic. Uh, I I hope that doesn't happen because partly just because of who Marco Arnautovic is, that would be the main thing. But also, who is signing thirty-two-year-old centre forwards who weren't any good to begin with? to try and become a good football team. No one. And I know Ten Hag isn't a forward and he knows the player and thinks that he'll be able to do something for him. But at the same time, it's just a ridiculous compromise. And part of me hopes that Ten Hag is playing some other game here where he's allowing it to be known that United want to sign Marco Arnautovic so that there'll be an almighty fuss so that they then won't do that and will then go and buy a better player. Because I think I think we all know that they're trying to sign Benjamin, Benjamin Sheshko. And I've no idea whether he's any good or not. I do know that if you think that he is going to be a brilliant player, then 55 million quid is a bargain. Any player, who's any transfer that works is a bargain, basically. They're worth whatever you're lucky enough to pay but for that player. Isn't that the point about the, the Frankie de Jong thing, which has gone on so long at this stage? You'd have to assume, at some level, Manchester United believe that what he's saying about not wanting to go there isn't publicly isn't true and that actually he, he's happy to go there because otherwise they would have surely called off this. 100%. There is, there's no way that Tenach hasn't spoken to Frankie de Jong. They know each other. They have each other's phone number. Now, Frankie de Jong, when he, when he told Tenach that he was prepared to come, he might not have known that he had an option of going to Chelsea, for example, because you could just imagine Frankie de Jong watching that game yesterday thinking, oh, I... And even if he had decided that he came, that he was that he was prepared to come, the fact that Chelsea are now in for him may well have made him think, well, actually, I'm not just missing the Champions League this season. I could well be missing the Champions League next season as well. Now, he may also be thinking, hang on a sec, if I can go to Manchester United and be the main man and help them become good again, that might be quite an ego-tickling activity. That might be something that a professional athlete thinks is a challenge that they want to embrace. Like that's not that's not beyond the realms of possibility, but the idea of Frankie De Jong turning up to that seemed quite a fanciful one. But again, like you don't know, like because what? I'm trying not to be totally reactive here and saying, well, everything's dreadful just because there was that one dreadful performance against a really excellent team who came to United, who played really, came with a plan and executed that plan really well. So. I'm trying not to be reactive, so perhaps Frankie de Jong would also not be reactive. But if he were, if he were to be watching that game or to hear about that result and think, nah, I'm not doing that, you would entirely understand why that would be the case. Um, the only thing, your point about the 55 million being a bargain if the transfer is correct, right? It, it feels like there's just a gap of whatever 10, 17, whatever the outstanding wages are that could have solved the Frankie de Jong situation two months ago that Manchester United wanted the player, they identified the player, the price was the price, and there's this outstanding issue of the wages which seems to be pissing everybody off. And he's like, Barcelona are going to have to sort this out. And Barcelona are like, too busy spending somebody else's money to notice that uh, they could also it's sell it. Frankie de Jong's money, even. But ex- yeah, exactly. And, and um, venture capital firms and their fans for the next 15 years. Uh, a, well, a well-run, a paragon of financial security. But like money would solve that problem from Manchester United's perspective. They would have had Frankie de Jong two months ago. 
he would have played in the preseason. He would be in the team, and we'd be like looking forward, going, "Okay, I, I you know, I, I still the waste of the money that they've that they've spent over the years, and yet they're so incapable of spending the right money at the right time. Sometimes it just doesn't make any sense." Um, yeah, I mean, the De Jong one is slightly more complex because we know that that's quite an intricate deal. So I would be less inclined to give them grief for the De Jong thing, although obviously looking from the outside, you do kind of think there's surely a financial answer here. I don't, But I, I don't know that that's true. Whereas with Sheshko, we absolutely know that that is true. You've been told what the price is. You either pay the money or you don't. Do, you, do we think that Liverpool really wanted to pay as much as they paid for Nunez? I think probably they didn't, but they paid it because they decided that he was the player they wanted and they're a football club and football clubs need football players and good football players are better than bad football players. So they committed the money and they spent it, even though it seemed like a lot of money in the way it seemed 70 million quid seemed like a lot of money for Alisson, seemed like a lot of money for Virgil van Dijk. And it seemed like a lot of money for those players because it was. But as I said, if you get a player who's, who's good, then they're worth whatever money you're lucky enough to spend on them. We saw it. We saw it with Ajax as well this summer. So United wanted to buy some players from Ajax, but by the time they finally got around to doing it, Ajax had lost Gravenberch to buy Munich, they lost Masrari to buy Munich, and then they sold Sebastian Allaire to Dortmund. At that point, suddenly, Ajax don't need to sell any players that summer. So United, who thought they were being smart negotiating, end up having to overpay for Martinez because his price went up because suddenly Ajax didn't need the money anymore and they didn't get Timber and they didn't get Anthony. Now, you can talk about the fact that Tenach, well, surely he can find players who didn't play for Ajax, play in the Dutch League, or have played against Ajax. But actually, and I, and I understand that, I would ordinarily be quite suspicious of a manager who did that. But those players might well be the best players that United can get because they're not coming for United, they're coming for Tenach. And they, they, they trust the manager, so that's quite a big thing when, when signing for a new club. But they're, they're dallying, I think, felt like it cost them with Ajax because of that. Ajax got their business done. They could have got Anthony. If they have got in for Anthony and offered a sum that Ajax would accept before they sold Allaire to Dortmund, then it would have been Dortmund that had to overpay rather than the other way around. But United dithered and that's what happened. And so, though I don't know that it's the case with Dion because that seems like a more complex deal, we absolutely know that that happened with Ajax and we can absolutely see it happening with Sheshko now. If United want him, they're going to say it's £55 million pounds or whatever the, the or 55 million euros, can't remember which, whatever the number is, then however much you feel some level of shame that you're paying all this money for someone who's untried at the top level, uh, you, you have to trust your people who are responsible for talent identification. You have to trust the manager. And what are you saying ultimately? If you, if you give 35 million quid for someone and you think that he's good enough to be your centre forward for the next five years, let's say, good enough to play in that position, then if you get that for 55 million euros, let's say, that too is a bargain. Yeah. Particularly when that is a player that you need. And the fact is, is everyone's seeing United coming. They know that United are desperate for players. They now know as well that Anthony Martial is injured. And they now know that United... Didn't have anyone to play centre forward yesterday and lost at home to Brighton. And the longer you wait, the, <laughs> the more it gets. Yeah. <laughs> if you're Salzburg, the more you're like, oh, oh 70 million. I said 55. Well, look at that. Do you want him or don't you? And these things really get better. And the whole manner in which United have been run, I mean, what have they been doing all summer that 
Christian Eriksen was a free transfer. They've been having so pints even... in the pub with fans. It's <laughs> not even with Christian Eriksen. There's not even another club to negotiate with. You just mm. got to get. The, you just got to pay someone wages, and so that that's not a difficult deal to do. Martinez again, like wasn't really a difficult deal to do. United wanted him. He wanted to come to United. Personal terms were clearly not an issue. It was just a matter of getting the fee right with Ajax. That took much longer than it needed to, such that you end up with Martinez, who has to play yesterday. He's barely played with United. He's barely had a pre-season with United, which, again, was a deal that could have been done weeks ago yeah. so that he can move to Manchester, get settled, and have his proper pre-season. And Manassi was a deal that they actually that they actually did well. It was a rare one where they waited for another club to find out what the price was, so then came in and paid a little bit more rather than wait for the United tax to be added to it and did the deal really quickly. That was that was excellent. And you thought, oh, maybe maybe some lessons have been learned. But the other two the the other two deals, I mean the, the Ericsson deal had probably some medical complications where he had to kind of satisfy various things. So it took a bit longer than it might have done otherwise. But the Martinez deal was a mess. I mean what did they get out of those negotiations? They were told what the price was. It took they took weeks trying to get that deal done. How much less did they get the player for than they would have done otherwise? We don't know. Perhaps nothing. Yeah. And even if it was a few million quid, was it worth it to not have the player available when you needed them? And this has been a problem all the way through with the Glazers. If I remember it with Berbatov, when Berbatov signed in the summer of 2008, you know, I'd spend the whole summer arguing with him, ended up having to kidnap him from City on deadline day. When Daniel Levy had told them what the price was weeks ago, they could have had the player... He could have moved to Manchester. He could have had pre-season where his new teammates learned how to play around him. And I always felt like that actually made a difference to the entirety of Berbatov's time at United, that he never had that time to properly settle into a team that was had a pattern of playing, knew what it was doing. And he never had that. And he never quite did the things that we that you hoped he was going to do. And part of that was just the way that he wanted to play, was the, probably the wrong player at the wrong time. Yeah. But also, he just never had that time to settle in because United were spending so long haggling over a few million that they had to spend anyway. Same with Harry Maguire. Also happened with Harry Maguire. All summer, negotiating with Leicester, trying to get the price cheaper when they'd been told what it was. But they'd also made it clear that Harry Maguire was the only player that the manager wanted. So there was no way that Leicester were going to back down. They didn't. United paid what he got, what, what, what they've been told the price was. But six weeks later, and again, you have a player who's in a rush to join and not settled because that way of going about business is not the way mm. that you're able to go about running your business if you're Manchester United. It's um, Brentford away at half five this Saturday, which I dare say is going to be one of the, the highlights of the weekend for people watching from a neutral perspective. I did want to get your take, though, on one of the other stories from yesterday as well, Daniel, which is the the arrival of the human laser beam that is Erling Haaland <laughs> to uh, the Premier League. He looks amazing, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah the, the world's first lab design goal monster. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he, we know he's a brilliant player and it will, there's no way it was ever going to take very long for him to assert himself in that way because that's, that's what talent does. And he, the thing with City yesterday, the thing that was ominous is they didn't even play particularly well. They were, they were, West Ham were poor, so we do need to point that out. And the heat was probably quite helpful for City because City could just keep the ball. No one keeps the ball better than City. No, one, no team keeps the ball better than Pep Guardiola teams. And West Ham had to run around trying to get hold of it on the first day of the season when they're not properly match fit. So that obviously played into City's hands. And City just, as soon as, I mean, I think like the first goal was a brilliant goal because although it was obviously a penalty in the end, the pass and the pass from Gundogan and the run from um, from Haaland had to be take place in a very small amount of space. The space that was in behind the West Ham defence, 
the, the ball was perfect, the run was perfect, and the drawing of the foul was perfect. Uh, the second goal was also quite telling because at that point there was more space in behind because what's happened is now City are in front. West Ham actually got to try and win the game. Not win, they've got to try and get a goal. And then as soon as they push up, you've got that space in behind for Haaland to attack. And the pass from De Bruyne was brilliant and the finish was as you expect it to be. And we're going to see a lot of that. And the thing is, is if you look at the number of points it's taken to win the Premier League in the last six seasons... Five of those seasons are in the top six of points that have ever been scored in the Premier League era. And I think that Guardiola is cognizant of that because he knows that the players that win you points and every cost po- every drop point means so much now because of the points you've got to get to win the league to the extent where Liverpool dropping points for them kind of felt like a big result in the first week of the season, which is a ridiculous thing to say. But... The reason, one of the reasons why Liverpool and City have bought strikers is because centre-forwards are players who win you points when you wouldn't otherwise get them. And for City now to have that, we talk, people have talked a lot about the way that City play, where they've got those goals where the ball's cut back and now they've got Haaland there to finish them off. You've got goals at the front post as well. I'm sure he's going to score a ridiculous number of goals at the front post. And also they've now opened up that possibility for through balls, which they didn't have last season. No. They didn't have a centre-forward. And even when they had Aguero, I, Aguero didn't really score that many one-on-ones because he wasn't that kind of player. Aguero's more of a penalty box player. But when you've got someone like Haaland who knows how to time a run and has ridiculous pace, and I think what, what, I, what I liked about the way he scored the second goal was the way he got his stride sorted out. So he lengthened his stride, I think, when he wanted to get in behind to get away from the defender. And then the speed with which he shortened his stride to get his feet sorted for a, a one-touch finish because he didn't actually control the ball. He just really, he shortened his stride really cleverly to get around the, side, the right-hand side of the ball so that he could stick it away. That, that wasn't really an Aguero goal. The Aguero goal is the ball drops him in the box and he's get, he gets away a shot before the goalkeeper set himself because he had this way of shooting where he's sort of bringing his right foot around almost from behind his ass and shooting before the goalkeeper gets set. Haaland has those kinds of finishes, but he also he has something a little bit more because he's just a much bigger, much faster, much stronger athlete. Yeah. And adding that to the best technical team in the league, it is very, very difficult to see how City don't win the league this season. They still might not win the Champions League because they've still got a defence that could easily cost them when they play against other teams with brilliant attackers. But in terms of the week-to-week of just remorselessly accumulating points, it is almost impossible to see how someone else is going to stop them because yeah. if you think about it in almost every game they're going to have 70 percent possession so if you look at that from the perspective of the other team who are going to have maximum let's say 30 35 percent possession half of that time the ball's going to be dead half of that time the ball's going to be in their own half so how long they're going to have what 10 percent 15 percent possession with the ball anywhere near the city goal, yeah, and in that time they've probably got to score twice to get a point. An average of two shots, maybe per game that they'll be right. suffering. So yeah. exactly, yeah. so you've basically yeah. got to be perfect, almost perfect, to get anything from City, and that is very hard to obtain. One last thing: um, Stephen Gerrard started the season pretty badly. The Villa fans are mm, on the verge of being in fuego. Not quite in fuego yet, but talking about himself here, b- very close to it. <laughs> uh, how long do you think Stephen Gerrard's going to last as the Villa manager? Uh, I'm not sure again like you don't want to set too much store in what you see in the first week Stephen Gerrard did a great job at Rangers but he got lucky in that he was sort of in that interregnum between Rodgers and Postacoglu so he got in and got out very quickly got himself got a league title went against Neil Lennon yeah got the 10 in a row 
and, yeah. and, and got out. So, yeah. and he wasn't, I was surprised that he did a good job at Rangers because he wasn't someone who, the way that he played or the way that he spoke about the game was someone I expected to be a good coach in that he was a player who played on instinct. He was a Royal Rovers player who would just do brilliant stuff at crucial moments and override everything that happened in the football game to that point with force of talent and competitive charisma, whatever you want to call it. And, but he wasn't, he didn't control the game. He wasn't an incisive, thoughtful passer particularly. And then talking about football, he didn't do that either. And if you look at Rangers now, they're better than they were under him because Giovanni Van Bronckel seems like a better coach. So perhaps I'd be surprised, I guess, still if he turns out to be a really good coach for all those reasons. But he does have good players at Villa. And so if he can get them sorted, I wouldn't set too much store by an opening day defeat. But if in a month they're still struggling, then I'm absolutely certain that he will be struggling because he's been given a decent amount of money and he's got he's got good players. Yeah, that's the thing. Daniel, good stuff. Great to have you back. Thanks a million. Cheers. No, see you again, everyone. Have a good day. That's uh, Daniel Harris giving us some thoughts on the weekend's Premier League stuff. If you've got views, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. Of course, a reminder for you all this morning that Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Every week, we're giving one lucky viewer a €100 Euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you to enter just check out at Off The Ball on Twitter like and retweet our Braeburn competition post and you'll be in the draw Braeburn Coffee is Apple Green's new premium coffee brand that offers customers the best coffee experience on the road and it's available now at 30 locations nationwide it is 8.43 this morning going to run you through some of the newspapers I mean as you would expect the English papers all have Erling Haaland and Ten Hag hell of a job to fix United says Ten Hag and it's Haaland. Is he, uh, is he silencing? Is he doing silence? That, that's what the back page headline in the London Times says. And they're also saying Timo Werner's gone back to uh, Germany, to Leipzig. Uh, it's understood, Timo. The Irish papers, yeah. Just on the verge of a breakout, Owen. Verge. Uh, Kilkenny's year of sweat and tears yields them the title once again. It's a one-point win for Kilkenny in the Camogie final. We're going to talk about that in about five minutes' time. And uh, the line of the day for me comes from Jonathan Wilson at Old Trafford even Avram Glazer enthused by the prospect of a new start turned up sitting in the director's box with the fixed stare and vacant smile characteristic of extremely wealthy men pretending to understand the events being played out in front of them <laughs> it is interesting you know it's like um, the, the thought process that goes into Avram Glazer's decision to come he obviously picks a date in the calendar that will be a joyous one a guaranteed win at home First game, new manager bounce. Who, who are even Brighton? Yeah. What are they? What is that? The Brighton Gulls are in town. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our Red Devils are going to clip their wings. And um, yeah, I, I, I just saw him kind of like the camera pant him as he walked down the, the tunnel in the front sandwich area of the stadium. Uh, a very dejected man. Got to feel sorry for him. I do. I feel in, in, intense sympathy for... Uh, Avram and all the Glazers this morning. It's a, it's a terrible little situation they found themselves in, making billions out of owning a football club. Carl Milani, good morning to you. How are you? Hi, lads. How's it going? What's the crack? Not much now. It's uh, good to have the Premier League back. Jay's over. Uh, Intercounty jail, at least. Um, Would the All Ireland have got a look in this this morning with the <laughs> Manchester United situation? Yeah, no, well, if the men's All Ireland was there, you was go. Split season works. Yeah. Um, but it is over quite quickly but um, now the club season should take over now but the Premier League is back obviously and um, it's just all so quick isn't it like I mean it's all coming together and then you're going to have rugby back and then into the World Cup and then you're into the GA again next January so uh, it's all very quick but uh, we won't complain 
like obviously there are a couple of things that will uh, keep us tipping along over the next few months and one of them yesterday was we'll probably play the audio later on is the the refs getting mic'd up in TG Carr it's oh, like yeah. oh there's actually some innovation that can be yeah. done with the club game that can actually increase how we view this thing or increase our uh, relationship with this thing and I'm not sure would um, many people have been talking about the Kerry hurling final yesterday except for people obviously from the county and uh, turns out a lot of people are talking about it because of really good work from TG Carr we can actually we have the audio now if, uh, if we're good to go with it yeah so um, who are the two teams here so we've got Causeway and Ballyduff, and uh, Causeway got the win yesterday in the end. Uh, setting the odds, I think, to, to get over the line in this one. And uh, the referee, whose name just escapes me right now. We'll look it up. Yeah, uh, it was uh, the first. Uh, John O'Halloran was the referee. Apologies, John, from Limerick. Um, he was. Uh, he knows Michael- the players pretty well. He does actually, it seemed, and maybe this is like the case for all referees, and we just don't know it. And uh, I, I, I don't know why what I expected, but uh, this fe- like so I, we're, we're going to play this audio. Yeah, tell us what's happened. Um, what is after happening in the clip we're about to play? I'm actually not quite sure. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> what, what's happened is uh, free's been given against yeah. the fella, and it's a yellow card offence. Exactly. Sorry, it's that clip. The ball's gone in. Yeah. So let's have a listen. The Tammy Casey. Okay. The initial thought was over here. The second was in here. It's the yellow, yellow card defence over here. Just swiping carelessly, okay? Dispersion. Caught the B. Yeah. Ratchet and my toad. I just talk caught to Ella. Oh, you're late with the challenge. Stop. Please stop talking. Stop talking. Listen to me. Please listen to me. You're just careless with the challenge. You're late. That's all. It is a card defence. Stop. Come on. No. Pauly, come on. I'm here in front of it. I'm only three hours away from it. Anna Hamul. Anna indeed. Uh, it's not. I swear to God, it's not. You can hear the players uh, coming back <laughs> at him. It's not. Like it, it feels a little bit like uh, rugby, the tone of the referee. Like, I, I don't know what I expected from like being uh, 100 metres away and seeing these refs talk to the players. I just thought it was like aggression on both sides. But actually, the, it seems that the, the refs are quite courteous and um, obviously the, the players trying to trying their best to put a case up for themselves. Uh, there was referees mic'd up before yeah. and then there was controversy afterwards because the players were unaware of it. Very um, Dublin 2015 All Ireland final. Yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah, yeah, there yeah. was a minor controversy afterwards. It wasn't that big a deal. The players but, weren't aware of it that time, were they? Not? No, they weren't told okay. in advance. But I, yeah. were they told yesterday in advance? Is that why they were being polite? Was it? Go on, Duff. I wonder when. Would, the, it, would it have been totally different? Yeah, I'm not sure. When the captain's going for the throw, and you know they usually come back with some sort of a message from the referee. I wonder, was like this guy's wearing a wire? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know? do, they, do they ever actually tell anything? You know, go back there now, lads, and it's like, oh, we're gonna hold. I'm going to like take take everybody out of the moment they're in to go. By the way, lads, the referee has said whatever. Fair clean game. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't. But it, it's a great uh, innovation. Yeah, and and um, obviously they're probably on their best behaviour yesterday if they were aware. Um, but it is a very interesting dynamic. Doesn't it immediately help the behaviour to get good? Yeah. Doesn't it immediately transform the bit where, and doesn't it then filter down into the club game where it's like people start being more respectful? Like it's a fairly obvious, straightforward thing. Yeah, I like I like your holistic point on it, but my whole takeaway is this is just very good entertainment, and yeah. uh, I will be watching uh, more games if there is uh, more uh, insight like this. But yes, of course, that's good for the game too. Yeah, great respect is also good. Uh, stereotypical, brilliant innovation from TG Gar when it comes to their coverage. What else is going on, Carl? 
Uh, well, let's just recap yesterday's uh, Kamoki action. A point of free from Denise Gold. Two minutes and out of time helped Kilkenny win the All-Ireland Senior Final at Crow Park. They beat the uh, they beat Cork by 113-112 to with that uh, late free. Sophie O'Dwyer netting a late goal as well uh, for Kilkenny. In the other finals, Gold would be Cork to win the intermediate crown by 13 points to 11, while Antrim overcame Armagh by 5-5 to 14 points in the Premier Junior Decider. In football, Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag insists their 2-1 Premier League defeat to Brighton was unnecessary. A first-half double from Pascal Gross was enough to secure the visitors' victory at Old Trafford. Elsewhere, Erling Haaland scored twice for Manchester City, 2-0 winners over West Ham and Brendan Rodgers. Leicester played out a 2-all draw with Brentford. Uh, Sligo Rovers bounced back from the European disappointment midweek to beat Bohemians. That was in the SSE Artricity League Premier Division last night. John Russell's side, 2-1 winners at the showgrounds. Max Mattis scoring twice, having come off the bench. One game tonight in the Championship Cross Channel. West Brom take on Watford uh, from 8. In golf this weekend, Leona Maguire secured her best-ever finish at a major championship championship yesterday. She posted a 7-under total to finish in a tie for 4th at Murfield after a 5-under par 66 on Sunday. That left her three shots adrift of the eventual winner, Ashley Buhai. The South African beat Inji Chun in a playoff uh, to take the title, while Porrick Harrington narrowly missed out on a playoff place at the Shaw Charity Classic on the Champions Tour. He finished on 8-under par, one shot behind Jerry Kelly and John Houston. Kelly won the playoff with a birdie at the first playoff hole. In the At the Commonwealth, game, Commonwealth Games, Belfast siblings Michaela and Aidan Walsh. Uh, both won gold medals yesterday. Michaela overcame the challenge of her Nigerian opponent to win the women's featherweight final in Birmingham, while Aidan had earlier clinched gold in the men's 71kg division after winning his final against an opponent from Mozambique. Three other Northern Irish boxers, Amy Broadhurst, Dylan Eagleson and Jude Gallagher, also took gold yesterday. So a good day for Northern Ireland at the Commonwealth Games. And there's racing this evening at Ballinrobe in County Mayo, where the first of seven goals to post at 25 past five. All right. Good stuff. Thanks very much for that uh, call it's 8.51 this morning if you want to get involved in the conversation we're having then you can tweet us at Off The Ball you can always uh, leave a comment on our YouTube stream or of course you can uh, text us 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number um, uh, Shifty Lad says good morning everyone did anyone think the atmosphere at the South African New Zealand game was the best ever at a rugby game also does the hacker wear the players down on the all black side because they've started shite the last few games yeah, going from an unfair advantage to an unfair disadvantage. Um, like, I presume the whether or not it's good or bad probably evens itself out for the New Zealand team over the course of a few years, is it? Um, it'd be, uh, be interesting to see, like, the most outrageous theatrical hackers and the tears leading to victories or the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> it did seem that the hacker was just as ferocious between the first test and the second test against Ireland and the performance maybe the third test they were in tears and then we we started yeah, true. the three tests really well yeah yeah maybe, maybe there's a, a bit of that um, although what was it the 2019 World Cup the fields of Athenry was ringing around as the haka was going on and maybe that made the New Zealanders angry that day so just don't sing during the haka maybe um, yeah I think or just be better at them at rugby is, is that, that can sometimes help in the grand scheme of things if you're trying to win a rugby match for sure uh, okay. All right. If you want to get in touch, as I said, you can uh, text us here at 0879-180-180. At 8.53, though, let's turn our attention to yesterday's Camogie final. Fiona Hickey joins us. Fiona, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Hi. How are you getting on? Nice to see you, uh, Incredible drama at the end. Was the result a fair one or would actually a draw, if if the last chance had gone over, would that have been kind of what the doctor ordered? What did you think? 
Yeah, yeah, I probably think the Cork really probably deserved the draw in the end. Uh, you wouldn't have thought it after 15 minutes or so, um, or even before the game. I genuinely, I would have thought that Kilkenny, you know, they've been the most consistent team all year. And um, I thought that they, I suppose, I thought that they'd let cut loose in this final, but Cork, Cork stopped that happening. You know, they didn't get going for a while, but, um, and it was just, yeah, I suppose Cork could come out with the draw. Ashling Thompson, has, you've seen her hit those points you know, day in, day out, but it was such a pressure shot. So um, I suppose a draw, yeah, could have been could have been the fair result on the day. But uh, Kilkenny, to be fair, have been on the on the losing side from you know little you know points the Cork has scored near the end of games as well. So it was kind of it was, it was good for them to come out on the right side of it for once. Is that something you've seen change with Kilkenny over the last few years? The fact that they can grind out these big games in the big moments. Yeah, I suppose, like you think back to 2020 and uh, I suppose Denise Gall was a bit of a hero again yesterday, but in 2020 when she'd stand up to take that penalty, you know, in the dying minutes, she stuck it. And I suppose the consistency of management and the consistency of players, now they've lost a few from last year, obviously, but, you know, they still have their, you know, their great mix of, you know, experience and I suppose younger players, but um, the driving force there, Denise Gall, Miriam Walsh, Claire Phelan, they're all still there. And I, I, I do think that like Brian, Brian Dowling has just done great work with them, I suppose, yeah, mentally uh, to be able to grind out these wins now. So it's, you know, it's great, great for them. What happened in that first half after the comeback from Cork and maybe a little bit of a retreat from Kilkenny? Was, was there a tactical shift or, or what caught your eye in, in those few minutes? Yeah, it was such an interesting um, period. It, it, I would actually say that Kilkenny probably didn't capitalise enough on, um, I suppose, Cork's slow start. They had the same slow start against Waterford, so I suppose Kilkenny could have been prepared first and could have, you know, hit the juggler a few times. I think they, they probably didn't capitalise enough on this slow start from Cork. And I suppose once Cork settled into it, I really thought that uh, Finola Neville had a great game there at centre forward yesterday. And to, you know, Katrina Mackey was actually free inside. She easily could have hand passed off that ball for Katrina to kind of stick it in the back of the net. But Finola said, I'm, I'm doing this myself. Like she's been a real, a super, super asset to Cork this year, especially with Orla Cronin missing. So, um, yeah, I suppose Cork just settled into it and, and, you know, they took off their, they picked off their scores one by one. It was, it was a slow comeback, but to go in, a draw at half time after you know going down you know six points and you know they really Kilkenny did you know were lucky to be going in at a draw at half time so um, yeah I suppose Cork just settled didn't it it's been a slow start I saw Paddy Murray talking about it on the on the Sunday game last night you know they've had two you know slow starts and he reckons you know I don't know that things aren't set up as they should be I suppose maybe I don't know Yes, it, it is interesting because you mentioned the Waterford game and it's two games in a row now where uh, they've been in a slow start and I guess it probably cost them in the end then yesterday, all things considered. like, Is it something to do with their style of play, like the, the hard running through the middle? Does that just take maybe a quarter of a game just to get fully up to speed or or is that just reading into it a little bit too much? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe... I suppose with the change of management, the change, change in, I suppose, the addition of, you know, as we all know, David Fitz is there in the backroom team as well. It's probably taken Cork maybe, you know, they were so used to the game they were playing. I suppose a few key players missing, Orla Cronin, Orla Cotter's not there. You know, I suppose maybe it's just taking a while. I, I, the, the term transition is used a bit. I suppose they are seriously in transition at the moment with their, you know, their older experienced players, their younger players coming through, great girls coming up from minor. Um, 
and I suppose just with the change in management, it probably has set them back a small bit this year. But to still reach, you know, an honour and final and only lose, lose by a point, they're just they just don't go away. Cork are not going away. Um, so that's a real credit to them, you know. Um, but I suppose getting to grips with the new new coaches on the sideline, new management, you know, it's it's not easy even for teams that have, you know, been together and been so successful like Cork for years, you know. It is an incredible um, staying power by both these teams when you think back to that All-Ireland final in 2016 that Kilkenny won by four points. Since then, like, they were, they played each other the following two years after that. Uh, Kilkenny were only beaten by Galway and, sorry, Kilkenny lost both those. Kilkenny were beaten by Galway the, the year after, came back and beat Galway and then Cork played Galway last year and they end up back here again. Like, is, are, is this a proper golden age rivalry between the two teams at the moment? And is the needle... Um. The needle certainly would seem the, to suggest it is. The top, the top three are there and thereabouts. Not there, thereabouts. They're there. They're there always. You know, you have your Kilkenny, Cork, and Galway, and it's so hard for other teams at the moment to try and break through. I do think you know Waterford had a really, really good chance this year of. Uh, you know, coming through that car semi-final. You know, they put up a great performance against them. But again, as you said, it's the staying power. I suppose it's the mentality. Cork just, they just keep coming back. And, you know, I suppose Waterford would be the closest at the moment to kind of coming close to the top three. But I really thought that once Kilkenny had kind of, you know, Kilkenny and Galway would have been the best two teams in the country this year, I would have said. And I suppose Kilkenny got the harder semi-final um, draw against Galway um, but to, when they overcame Galway I genuinely thought that they would be you know they'd breeze into this All-Ireland final and they'd really take it in their stride but you know again all credit due to Cork they really you know put, put a halt to the gallop after you know uh, they took off at such a high speed One of the things that we, you know that, that um, we've talked about there is, is Kilkenny's ability to come back from these heartbreaking defeats Cork are now going to be charged with doing the same thing but uh, do we expect the same Cork team so obviously, as we know, some changes in the backroom team. Davies Fitz has, has stepped away. So uh, will some of those older players step away now too, do you think? Yeah, it's a, it's a hard it's a hard one to say. Like, they haven't won silverware in a while now. You know, I know those girls are just, you know, they'll be, you know, in agony this morning waking up. You know, the likes of Ashton Thompson. You have, you know, Katrina Mackey's been such a soldier for Cork over the years. Chloe Sigerson. Um, I suppose Laura Tracy's to, you know, put the hand up there at centre back as well. There's those girls around for a long time. They're still not, you know, none of them. I'd say they're not even thirty. Some of them, do you know what I mean? So they're they're still there's. I don't know. I think they'll be hurting, and I do think that the the draw of winning silverware could bring them back. But you know, as I said, I do believe that Kilkenny and Galway are the best two teams in the country at the moment. So you know whether they see it as, you know, I suppose a goal of theirs to come back and try to, you know, get back in the in the top two teams of the country. It's, it, you know, it, it's, it's a tough mountain to climb now, as I said, the transition, between the transition of the younger players, the older players. You know, we saw Jim O'Connor stepping away last year. I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think time will tell. They're not, you know, they're... There is still something for them to get out of this championship um, next year, but um, I suppose yeah, time will tell. In terms of the the difference between the two teams yesterday, is it just that uh, at the very last minute the free goes over and Ashton Thompson misses, and you know that's sport. Sometimes one team wins; they're not necessarily the better team, even though coming into the game you thought they had been the better team. In the end, there was nothing between these sides. Yeah, I genuinely thought that, that Kilkenny, as I said, had been the most consistent team all year, and. Um, 
yeah, I suppose the goal was it was a funny one. You know, um, Kilkenny didn't really look like, you know, they didn't, Cork's defensive setup was quite good. They didn't really look like they could have, you know, they didn't come close to scoring a goal, I suppose, all throughout the game. And, but they really, really pressed on. They knew they had to score that goal. And, you know, it was very disappointing for Amy Lee. You know, I don't think she made, you know, a huge mistake, really. She'd set up to save a goal because they needed a goal. It was the last minute of the match. She knew there was going to be a goal shot coming in. Uh, it ended up taking a dirty deflection. It was loopy. You know, she ended up backtracking. It was just, it was, I suppose, in a way, it was nice for Kilkenny to get a break like that because, as I said, Cork were so used to getting those little breaks in, in, in All-Ireland Finals in 2017, 2018. Like, but, you know, do those breaks just happen because of luck or is it, you know, they're grinding them out really? Like, I, I, I don't know. I think that, I do think Kilkenny on form all year, you know, deserved to win yesterday, but... You know, you can't. You don't. No one deserves to win an All Ireland. Like you have to, you have to grind it out. Um, so yeah. Had you Kilkenny down as your All Ireland champions before the year began? When you take into account all the retirements, the people who've gone travelling, obviously the the bad injuries uh, that happened to a couple of their players, did that dissuade you at all before the championship began that they might not get over the line? I suppose there's been injuries and travelling and retirements everywhere, really. So no, mm. I, I still think even with the likes of. Um, the Doyle sisters and doing their cruise sheets. I suppose Galway had their fair share of bad news as well and Rebecca Henley and Orna McGrath and um, Cork, I suppose, as we know, Orla Cronin was a huge loss there yesterday. So I still, th- I think with all the, all the players that ended up, you know, not playing this year in the senior championship, it was all kind of, every team, you know, suffered their, their blows, I think. So I still would have said Kilkenny, um, yeah, it would have been my front runners, even even with the, I suppose, Katie Power being back as well was huge. Um, so she was a nice little addition back into the team when, um, for that All-Ireland final after missing it, you know, uh, through injury in 2020. So um, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, every team suffered their blows. Every every, every team this year, I suppose, had a lot to deal with with injuries. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it made, you know, Kilkenny had the, had the depth in their panel to just, you know, bring on, bring on, you know, girls who with little experience, like, um, yeah, so I don't think it made a huge difference. No, I still would have said Kilkenny would have been number one for me anyway. Uh, Katie Nolan got player of the match on TV last night. Was was that the correct call or could potentially Miriam Walsh have been able to shout for that as well? Miriam was unreal from play and myself and Sarah Donovan are big fans of Miriam Walsh. We'll, we'll always, uh, yeah, always back her up. Um, just unbelievable talent. Uh, just to have someone such a presence in the square at all times and just she she got some fantastic scores yesterday but Katie Nolan I think deserved yeah her man of the match um award um just so solid on the freeze and just to have the I suppose Denise Gall unbelievable free taker Denise decided yesterday you know she missed one and here you go Katie up to you now and Katie just you know relished the challenge um she was fantastic from play so solid on the freeze. Um, yeah, I think she was great. Yeah, super, super um, player for Kikenny and has just had a really consistent year. So definitely well-deserving um, of her man of the match yesterday. Definitely, yeah. We should probably give uh, a mention to the junior final as well, which Antrim won. And one of the great performances we're ever likely to see on All-Ireland final day came from Dervla Cosgrove, who scored four goals and two points, hat-trick of goals in the space of 84 seconds. Um, yeah. I'm not sure like uh, David Clifford playing minor for Kerry kind of comes to mind when you see those sort of statistics 
Jeez, what a dream day for them. Like, uh, I saw Armagh playing uh, this year, actually, against our Limerick junior team. They gave them a, a bit of a hide, and they were unreal. Like, Armagh were fantastic. And for Antrim to come out and just have a performance like that, as you said, um, I think... Um, I think Jarvita took it into her own hands, you know, there at one stage. She just, oh my God, she could do no wrong, like, you know, scoring, yeah, one of the quickest hat-tricks in, scored in probably many sports, you know. So it was absolutely, it was amazing. I was actually just so delighted for them because they just didn't even let our, our man play yesterday, you know. They, they were so used to playing so freely and putting up such high scores and it was just really entrance day yesterday, yeah. How important are those intermediate and junior grades in terms of being a pointer for maybe next season and some of the talent that might come through to some of the, the senior teams? Because I know Brian Dowling was making that point around Sophie Dwyer coming off the intermediate panel this year and saying, listen, I'm going to be a senior. Yeah, and same like Finola Neville there for Cork, um, you know, starting centre forward yesterday. She was playing with the intermediate, intermediates for, you know, a few years as well. So you see there Cork did have their intermediate team laying yesterday. Galway had theirs. That's just a sign of how strong those two counties are. I do think um, the second string teams in the counties um, are it's so important for development. You know, those girls can go off and play, you know, in-house matches, 60 players there, you know, between the two squads. But not only for second string teams, but for the likes of Antrim, Armagh, you know, winning, you know, yesterday for Antrim is huge. Antrim are taking part in, you know, senior, you know, league this year. They put up great, um, or they're, they're, they're absolutely flying it up there. And it's just such a, I suppose, the day out in Croke Park, you know, it's amazing. We were there, you know, we won the intermediate in 2014. It's just such an important day out for counties. It's great to see some silver were coming back and I suppose just getting some some recognition for all the hard work you put in all year and just being able to, you know, play on the biggest stage and the biggest day, it, it's, it's so important. And attendance figures were quite good yesterday. So I suppose um, just a bit more promotion needed now. Um, I suppose getting Glenn, Glenn Dimplex in this year as sponsors is amazing just to, you know, um, freshen it up a small bit. So I just think that, uh, yeah, Mogi's in a good place, but these junior, intermediate, th- those finals are so, so, so important um, for both developing your second string team players into senior players and for the counties that are, you know, competing at the junior grade just to kind of take the step up then the following year. Yeah, well, there's no reason why Antrim shouldn't be competing at senior level given the size of the county and the resources available to them and their tradition of producing senior All-Ireland winning teams. Like, um, you know, the the Antrim GA has had a lot of help but needs a lot of help and certainly um, you would hope that they're getting their house in order. One last question for you. Who's the player of the year? Oh, I don't know. Um... She's hard to look past. I think Denise Gall again. I just think she's been so solid all year. Like and um, yeah, I'm just gonna yeah. I I go Denise. I just think absolutely the one player you'd want on your side to be able to step up uh, to to give away to be able to admit that oh geez I'm not having a great day on the freeze to give them to another player and then the dying minutes there's another free and this is mine hand up. I'm going to score this. She did. She popped it over the bar. I just think for consistency, for that's a girl I'd like to yeah have on my team. Fiona, good stuff. We leave it there. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Bye. That's Fiona Hickey there giving us her thoughts on the All Ireland Camogie finals. Manchester United, according to the Athletic, in for uh, Adrian Rabio. Yeah, (laughs) Um, a guy who is a very very good footballer, but a guy who's obviously you know. 
brought a certain energy to a dressing room that isn't always positive uh, to both his international and club dressing rooms in the past. A character. A character. Sorry, that's the phrase I was looking for. He's a definition of a character. So uh, this is David Ornstein of The Athletic who is reporting this morning that um, they're going to go in for the fella who is now 27 years of age. He's into the final 12 months of his contract at Juventus. It could potentially be an indicator that they are leaving the race to sign Frankie de Jong. So uh, what he says is United must decide whether or not they try and close out this proposed signing of Rabiot, irrespective of their ongoing attempts to secure Frankie de Jong or wait to discover how that pursuit finishes before making a decision on Rabiot. But 12 months left on his contract, so you presume they're getting a reasonable deal? Transfer market says his current value is 15 million, so that's what, 35 for Manchester United? For Manchester United, they might get it just to below, they might get it to like 27 or something like that. So uh, is, is this verging on the panic button? Maybe um, not even in relation to yesterday, but maybe in relation to the De Jong signing going down the, the toilet. I think you you need to get a body or bodies in there to make training a bit more intense. Somebody who has a bit of swagger, who isn't scared of winning matches at home against Brighton. Yeah, like he de- definitely would bring swagger, you would have thought. Um, I'm not sure is like... It definitely can't hurt, I'd suspect, unless the off the pitch stuff becomes a, a bit of an issue and like maybe in the first season of your career that's or the first season of a new club that that's not something that necessarily um comes to fruition at all. So like I, I think Juventus have been relatively keen to maybe get him off the books or have been trying to, you know, at least disguise that so that they can get a few quid from like I think the likes of uh, Aaron Ramsey was probably in that same um, category with him a couple of weeks ago as well, where they're, they're trying to get a few bodies um, off their books. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a bad signing, I guess. Adrian Rabiot's ma appears to be. A oh, she's character. a big yeah. Her, herself and uh, the Mbappe family famously had uh, issues. Uh, issues, I think, wasn't it at, at uh, Euro 2022? Veronique, if I remember correctly, I think we did a, a, a beef is real. Um, I think Kylian Mbappe's dad and Veronique Rabiot. They are not BFFs. They were on opposite sides. They were on opposite sides of uh, the bust-up that uh, resulted in France not delivering on their favourites tag at last year's Euros. Um, he's already being labelled the French Fellaini. The Fr- <laughs> <laughs> There's not a lot of credit in the bank when it comes to the player or the people making the decisions about who to, who to sign for Manchester United. The trouble is because they get linked with absolutely everybody, there's kind of a stench around it. Like, you know, they might not sign Arnautovic they might not actually have been linked with Arnautovic in any meaningful way. You know, it's, they, apparently a bid was turned down. Was it? Do you know? That comes out publicly. Was that actually factually a bid? Was that made? Or does every, does every team send out like, a, how much is that player? How much is that player? How much is that player? It's just like a, a, a message coming from your server going, what's the current price? What's the current price? What's the current price? What's the current price? And Arnautovic is like number 177 on a list of 700 players. You know, but there's not a real thing. But that the agent, Arnautovic's agent, hears that there's been a phone call. His, his name has come up in a, an email, a list of these players. Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's like, oh, a bid's been made. But it hasn't. But now everybody thinks, oh, these guys don't know what they're doing. They're trying to sign that guy. The only thing is that Ten Hag has worked with Arnautovic in the past. So maybe that's why, out of the list of 180 names, that's why this is the story, because the dots connect on more than one level. It's not just the automated server email. It's also the other side of things that he's worked with them in the past. But if they go ahead and actually sign him, then maybe that will be proof that these guys don't actually know what they're doing. Um, I, the Rabiot thing, t- to a lesser degree, uh, I, th- I think it was after Mbappe's penalty miss, by the way, that uh, Veronique Rabiot was... Uh, pretty annoyed and gave it to the Mbappe family. Right. Yeah. Uh, At their lowest point, 
Yeah, he he's um he's injured at the moment. He's got um, a head wound from yes. one of his teammates uh, who kicked him in the head accidentally, not on purpose. This yeah. is not a John Hart and Al Berkovich situation. No, this is a completely accidental clash of heads. So I don't know if he'd actually be available to play very soon. It might be a couple of weeks before the six stitches in his head. Football doesn't really care about that kind of stuff. So probably get out there. Stick your skull cap on and play for us next weekend. Like we said at the top of the show that Chelsea against Spurs is the game to watch this weekend, but it's not really. It's Brentford versus Manchester United at half five on Saturday night, isn't it? That that's where it is. The range of outcomes is large. Where's the game? It's in Brentford. Right. Uh, Rabio, only the two million Instagram followers though, so that's uh, that's progress from if you're if you care about that kind of stuff and you think that the club is trying to get its soul back, then maybe signing a player who's only twenty seven could still be entering his peak years. Yeah, like uh, relatively cheap, and like he's uh, proven himself. Like we've all watched him in the Champions League. He's he's a very good player. Uh, it just seems that the talent that he displayed maybe four or five years ago just hasn't been consistently shown in the uh, intervening years. And that is one of Manchester United's biggest problems: is that they've had players who've also worn the stripes of Juventus, who've shown glimpses of brilliance, and haven't been able to do it consistently. And I would say that has been one of the criticisms you could level at Rabiot over the well, last couple of years. At the end of COVID, wasn't Anthony Martial going to be? Really, really good. And right after COVID, he was really good. It was then the the off season happened. It was the start of the season. Then that he was just very, very disappointing. I still don't think Martial's a, a complete bust, and I think that if Ten Hag is going to make it at Manchester United, players like Martial are going to have to have an impact. They're going to have to score ten to fifteen goals this season. He's going to have to get Rashford back hitting the target from the chance that they got yesterday. A big debate between Nathan and Brian Kerr about whether or not the offside would have been given by the VAR afterwards, and I don't know. Um, you know, we'll never know if uh, VAR would have corrected the offside flag of, um, but the fact that he missed the, the, the cruelty is how it was referred to by one of the reporters like how cruel it was for this hollowed out player to be given the opportunity to show that he would have missed anyway whereas if the flag had gone up it would have been like oh I definitely would have scored that yeah you know it's like, and then he didn't um, so I don't know uh, Rabio, if they'd signed him if they could have got the deal done before the news breaks you'd be like oh they're doing some stuff that we don't know about mm. that they aren't just this leaky vessel where it's a, a it's a, everyone like I, there's no it doesn't seem to be any Manchester United insider anymore everybody's an insider uh, like every single uh, UK outlet seems to have their finger on the pulse when it comes to the inner workings of Manchester United it's not a great scenario no or just a lot of good Manchester United journalism going on well uh, that's true and so many opportunities for it as well um, interesting piece in the um, we're going to talk to Phil Thompson in a moment by the way about Liverpool but interesting piece about Stephen Gerrard why Gerrard might have blundered by freezing out Mings and then they're like they just like on a fairly rudimentary level right Bournemouth have two of the five tallest players who started Premier League matches at the weekend Tyro Mings tall Villa concede from set pieces it's like um, yeah that's going to be interesting for Manchester United at the weekend uh, for Brentford oh Brentford, Brentford sorry, sorry not Bournemouth I keep getting confused yeah the, uh, the two <laughs> new kids on the block you know post 2015 Premier League uh, influx of names. teams beginning with the letter B it's a good round <laughs> <laughs> is there anybody else well uh, once Birmingham got relegated those dreams were dead of a possible triumvirate of teams beginning with B um, this is good content uh, Brentford how tall they are I'm I'm, uh, I'm not quite sure if they have the, the same height as as um, Bournemouth do 
But you're saying that Steven Gerrard shot himself in the foot by dropping for well, things. He left uh, him on the bench and didn't even put it, bring him on, by the way, like which is uh, tantalising for him. Yeah. Um, uh, I know, it's not a good start for Villa. It's a continuation of the situation they found themselves in. I'm hijacking this Manchester United conversation. I shouldn't have, sorry. There's a, there, there's a new midfielder on the way and it looks like... Uh, now, hang on, they, they have reported before that these signings are imminent and then nothing happens. So... Presumably this isn't going to be that protracted. He's been left out of the squad by Juventus. Juventus want rid of him. He's 12 months left. You can get the deal done. Surely this is an open goal even for the, the transfer people at Manchester United. No. Maybe this is just like, a, like you know the way, what do they say, like if, if you're, one of your players is like short in confidence, just do, do the right thing next. Just do the simple thing next. Just play a few passes. Maybe the transfer department at Manchester United are like, right, we've got to knock our heads together. We just have to just get something done. Yeah. We just need to get over the line. Just get the confidence back. What what's the lowest hanging fruit, Adrian Rabio? Um, yeah, I, yeah, and maybe it'll be less than twenty million, and everybody'll be like, "Oh, that's fine." He's a, he looks like a Premier League player. Is he a top four Premier League player? We'll see. Maybe some other players around him will come in. Yeah. What are the wages then? Is obviously the other question. Uh, what's going on at Leicester? Let's see the thing here. Yeah, like obviously things look very, very rosy for them for a period of time yesterday and I kind of thought before the season began that Leicester were going to have a resurgence this season that if you were picking who's best place to finish seventh at the end of last season I would have said Newcastle because Newcastle are obviously going to sign a whole host of amazing footballers and like Eddie Howe was basically saying last week that it hasn't necessarily been possible he's put it down to financial fair play now there are still a couple of weeks left and they have signed some players but it hasn't been the whole sway of the players that you'd imagine they would have needed to break the top six so I would have had Leicester as possibly the front runners to get seventh and I gather from the tone of your question there that uh, the mood music out there is that it's not going to happen for them. Well it looks like several of their best players are available at the moment yeah. for the right price Yeah so, like obviously Madison would be the main one that looks like he's going to be going out the door And Fafana yeah. like Chelsea are in for Fafana for 60 million then 70 million and then it looks like they'll go to 80 million to sign him and um I mean, does Thiago Silva get dropped then, or is it, I don't know? That's that's a good Chelsea team. Yeah, like who yeah, just invested a quarter of a million. He was playing a quarter yesterday of a billion. A quarter of a billion. Like he was playing yesterday for Fana. Uh, played the full game. Sionchu was on the bench. I don't think he played a minute for Leicester yesterday. That that centre back partnership and not having them for a good selection of of last season was one of the main reasons why why they faltered. I would have thought it didn't seem they could handle too much the. Um, Midweek uh, fixture list as well, and I thought this season they'd be much better placed, but the early signs not great. All right, 19 minutes past nine, we'll get a bit more on the football with Phil Egan next. OTB AM. Phil Egan's with us, we're having some trouble with old Phil, so we're getting young Phil. Phil, how are you? <laughs> Younger Phil. Younger Phil. <laughs> yeah, all good, yeah. Uh, Adrian Rabio is the, the news this morning. He's the latest in a long line of players to have been linked with Manchester United. There seems to be a bit more around this one. David Ornstein of The Athletic is reporting that they're trying to close out this deal. He's been left out of the club team for a pre-season tour. He made a short appearance uh, yesterday, the day before, against Atletico. Got, got a kick in the head for his troubles, but seems to be on the way out. Is he what Manchester United needs? Um, he'd be an upgrade on what's there. Um, so I think that's probably the thinking behind it but he is probably not the player that's going to transform the, the United midfield I think he's he'd be a, a complementary midfielder to a better midfielder but they don't have that at the moment because for some bizarre reason they started the season with McTominay and Fred Fred was taken off first but McTominay was awful I, I, could have been sent off shouldn't he? he could have been sent off and 
he was just clumsy and he just has games like that and he doesn't seem to have much football intelligence when you watch him like he's an incredible athlete he's quick um, he's obviously quite big and he actually isn't the worst finisher but yeah there was just a, a real lack of a, a game plan I think that's what everyone was tuning in to see yesterday was how will United approach this but after a few minutes and Brighton kind of settled into it it was uh, a comfortable enough afternoon for Brighton and probably something in the comments from Ten Hag about the players lacking self-belief that they're, they don't have confidence they're brittle as soon as they went behind you kind of felt like you know they rallied a bit in the second half but you, you, when they were 2-0 down did anyone think that United were going to come back and win that game I certainly did and I thought maybe they might get a draw just yeah. because of the the nature of yeah. yeah the Old Trafford factor and, and like it is a thing like Brighton hadn't won at Old Trafford Brighton have played well at Old Trafford in recent seasons and have come away empty handed but um, everybody's getting their first win at Old Trafford in 20, 30, 40 years over the last two seasons that's what's happening now yeah that that like anything that they had so even last year Ronaldo would score two late goals against bad teams and they would win games that they should have lost mm. um, but that's like he's starting, he's starting at a very low base, and I, I actually think signing somebody like Rabio, you know, he's really replacing Jesse Lingard in the squad, and the, or Juan Mata in the squad. And if you can get more from this player than those two, then your squad is improving. This is not going to be sign Allison and sign Virgil Van Dijk and become suddenly uh, competitors again because that team already had loads of great players in it. Like Man United do not have any great players at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Rabio obviously is going to take the place of Fred or McTominay. Um, but you would I hope in in, the, in in terms of they they need depth in their squad as well because also these underperforming players need a kick up the backside. They need to be they need to know that if you play as bad as that again, like you won't be playing. And unfortunately, for the last few years, players at United have played badly, and they start the next week and you know you get comfortable and you just think that you know all I'd have to do is just maybe throw out an apology on social media and you know that will keep things sweet for a while and then we'll uh, we'll go again but also like the link of the Arnautovic thing that was just I mean if United fans were feeling bad after watching the performance yesterday then to see that like what good would Marco Arnautovic bring See, the thing is, if you want to add Marco Arnautovic to the squad and you sign five other players and you do it in the in the very early days, the dog days of there being no football, yeah. that's fine. But if that's the first thing that happens in the immediate aftermath, after a crushing home defeat on the opening day of the season, it looks like you're really badly run. Even if they got the Rabio thing out at full time yesterday, oh, we're you know we're 24 hours away from this, that would have helped with the. Uh, we understand there are issues. We see what's going on, yeah. but. Um, like you talked there about um, they need depth Spurs arrived or Conte arrived and said we need depth and they've got depth yeah. in two transfer windows now again a much better squad in that they have genuine world class players in that squad and so therefore they're working with better material it, I, I mean I, I don't know is Jaden Sancho going to make it I'm, I don't know the the assumption was that a new manager will come in and know what to do with him and he'll suddenly yeah. look really and good I think if, if if things start going well under Ten Hag Sancho will be part of that because it's very hard to like he, you know you can see where Sancho fits into a system but if the system hasn't worked yet and look it, it's going to take time but unfortunately 
there is still too many players at United and like Arnautovic which what I mean there is to become a really good club again they need to have a better culture their dressing room culture stinks and Arnautovic is not somebody you throw into that dressing room and part of me would say the same about Rabio, who wouldn't be a very disciplined player the way that we're told Eric Ten Hag is all about discipline Rabio, there's a talent there but you want players that will dig in when the going gets tough I'm just not sure about that he, I think when things are going well Rabio will be will be grand but it's a, there is a serious problem with the with the culture in that dressing room it feels like Manchester United are like addicted to the drug of what an immediate signing can give you you know like a 27 year old Rabio who has proven he can do really good things at times not very consistently but he has proven he can do really good things it feels like United are just addicted to that sort of signing as opposed to the methodical planning that comes with the turnaround of a club which is what United need where it's years and years of work of signing players of the right age profile so that when they become the age of Adrian Rabiot they're playing alongside another bunch of 25 to 30 year olds who are are willing to, to, to win for the team and ready to win for the team like this is just another series of plasters that Manchester United are hoping to administer yeah you used the word planning there is no planning that's the problem or if there is it's all short term there's you need people that understand modern football and what you need from players like talent doesn't cut it anymore like you need to have a certain attitude as well and like a character to be able to make it at the very top and so what are your what are your concerns about Ravio specifically? Well, first of all, I, I think he's he's quite limited in you know technically he's a decent enough player, but from whenever I watch him, he, he's one of these players that takes the safe option when he's on the ball. And uh, I remember the first time I saw him play, he was a teenager at PSG, and that was a PSG team like who were dominating the the French league. This was a team with Zlatan. This was a team with, with Cavani, obviously Thiago Silva was there, Verratti was in midfield, and saw him in the flesh play and, you know, sideways passes, bought back. Now, that's fine because he had better players around him, but is he going to be a transformative player? I don't think so, but the thing is, he's still going to be an upgrade on Fred and McTominay. Yeah, I, I, and is that enough? But that's not really a great starting point for a game into the season and you're signing the guy you think well you know what he won't be as bad as the other two well maybe he's the player who makes a lot more sense when they get somebody else beside him yeah and and so that's the planning here is that actually they're planning for next transfer window when they get whoever that central midfielder is going to be and suddenly you've replaced Fred and McTominay with Frankie de Jong and Verratti and everyone's like oh Verratti obviously sorry a slip of the tongue Uh, Rabiot yeah I mean, I wish they had Ferrati. There you go. Um, <laughs> but like, at least that is like not just this guy's not going to be the the silver bullet. But uh, him plus somebody else plus somebody else is going to be a midfield that gives us flexibility and yeah. tactical. Like I don't. Would they they still like? Could they play Christian Eriksen there to just get them through this period? Where at least somebody who knows and wants the ball is on the ball? Yeah, well, I mean, there was that incident in the the first half where Fred got the ball. He came looking for it on top of his centre-halves and he got dispossessed and Trossard had a chance but just didn't, um, wasn't able to square it. But, yeah, when you see players like Fred and McTominay trying to get on the ball, it, like, it doesn't really 
instill confidence and they just don't look very comfortable. Ericsson obviously is a player that from deep could do things, but you also need somebody that can get the ball back for you and that's not really Ericsson's game. You need somebody that's like the first instinct is to go hunting for the ball, but can actually do it properly. I don't mean throwing yourself into tackles and full-blooded tackles and everyone says, oh, that's great commitment. McTominay did that yesterday, but I, I wouldn't classify anything he did as positive yesterday. Do, do you know what? If Manchester United are looking for quick fixes, um, Gina Wijnaldum's name was being chanted around the Stadio Olimpico last night. It was an amazing unveiling. Yeah. Getting him on loan from Paris Saint-Germain, I think, is a really good piece of business. That would have been exactly what you're talking about. There's the, the sort of midfielder who can, uh, who can deliver magic on the ball, but yeah. most importantly, actually win possession back and do the, the dirty work in midfield. It would have been perfect for this Manchester United yeah, midfield. never going to United. No, he never would have, no. I guess. Uh, for money. Nah. But the thing is, from PSG to United, it would have been possible. Obviously, post Liverpool, they were yeah, never I done any with United. I mean, ask Michael Owen about that. You know? Yeah. I mean, when he's in town. <laughs> yeah. Um, talk about Liverpool briefly. Uh, Daniel Harris made the point earlier on that like, if you're trying to win the league, you look at the number of points that Man City get and dropping points on the opening day of the season it's a it's not a complete disaster but it's a little bit of a disaster because already you're chasing them like yeah you know i know it's stupid it's completely overreacting but this is what city have done look at their team look yeah. at city's team where are they going to drop points against who yeah. so maybe like west ham might have a chance of all the teams that are out there like yeah i don't know i, I think west ham were short at the back uh, i think literally and metaphorically yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 I don't know. I, I get you what, what you mean. Like with the kind of feeling with Liverpool would be they'd hit the ground running. They were awful on Saturday. But the positive I would take from it, it would be that they still got something from the game. Like they, they weren't good. I thought it was interesting. He went with the same ten outfield players that started in the Community Shield. Obviously, then Allison comes in for Adrian, and that's just makes the team stronger. But Firmino wasn't good. Firmino, obviously, we know wants to come deep for the ball but it just meant that the two Fulham centre halves had an easy ride then as soon as Nunes came on like it, it was a, like Nunes obviously scores he sets one up he has a few chances still looked a bit nervy at times but at least when he came on he was making runs the two Fulham centre halves were occupied and all of a sudden Mo Salah had a load of space and you would imagine that now Nunes starts the next game and Liverpool will be a lot more threatening in attack. The, the disappointing performance, I mentioned for me, you know, there was plenty of them. Joe Matip, who in the, the kickoff on Friday, we were talking about how good he is at bringing the ball out, but he just kept giving the ball away. That's where the Mitrovic penalty came from. He gave the ball away. But Luis Diaz had Teddy on a yellow card early and he just did it, they just didn't get the ball to him enough. So Diaz, as good as he is, brilliant dribbler, because you've lost Mane's goals from that position, there's a lot of pressure on him to be scoring goals. So it's, uh, look, it's still very early days. I thought Klopp was, there was no over, like, the, obviously the thing that was picked out of his interview was about the pitch, but actually if you look at the whole interview, he put his hands up and said, we just weren't good enough. And was that a case of, were they... Undercooked. I mean, they looked fairly sharp against Manchester City in the, the Community Shield. We don't know what kind of work they did in between that. But we know that they were trying to play a, a behind-closed-doors game against Villa yesterday. That game didn't go ahead. But 
Klopp obviously feels that his players need more work for the first time by the way Fulham were good yeah. as well but I was just going to say that you probably saw the stats for, for the first time since joining Liverpool Virgil van Dijk was dribbled passed by an opponent and conceded a penalty in the same game and Alexander Mitrovic was the man to yeah. do both of those things well, he scored 43 goals last season and he, he must get sick of people saying, yeah, can you do it in the Premier League? 11 is his most in yeah. the Premier well, League. No, nobody's saying that, but it's a yeah. fact. Like, yeah. he but has the, the, goal, the, Premier League. the goal, the first goal, that is the ball that he needs in. Mm. I know people are giving out about Trent Alexander-Arnold and as soon, I'd say as soon as he tried to jump, he was pinned down by Mitrovic. He's physically an absolute beast when it comes to that kind of ball that was in. Ever since he lobbed Mark Travers, his career has just been on the upward trajectory. He's only 27. Yeah. You know, like this is, and he's very, very experienced. Mm. So you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be surprised if he ripped it up this year and is playing Champions League football next season for somebody. Yeah. It, like Silva's a good manager. Maybe he just found a way of getting the best out of him and realises that yeah, he's well, the key to them surviving. Yeah. I mean, he didn't play really in the last campaign. Yeah. In the last Premier League campaign. He wasn't, Scott Parker couldn't really find a system to suit him, but Obviously, Marco Silva did that last season. 43 goals is a phenomenal return. And people say, yeah, it's only the second tier. But Haaland versus Mitrovic for the Golden Boot. For the Golden Boot, yeah. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see. But I, I, Salah will be up there. Obviously, Kane didn't... We know Kane doesn't like playing... September? In, uh, oh, no, August. August is now he, he actually had a chance. It was a great save from Gavin Bazzuni, who looks like he's going to have... A very busy season. Yeah. But any other takeaways from the Liverpool game? Like the midfield seemed to be. Yeah. Well, Thiago going off injured is not great because he, you know, he gave the ball away a few times from trying long passes, but he's still the by far the best player Liverpool have in terms of keeping possession. Where he, like, actually, do you know who made an impact off the bench was James Milner, and that's not meant to be the case. As in, look, it's great that he can do that, but you're kind of thinking that Liverpool should have stronger options in midfield. I felt before the start of the season they were light in midfield and then when Thiago went off injured it's not great and you just wonder will it force a rethink into maybe a formation change where he plays just two in there and plays one behind Darwin Nunez and Salah and Luis, uh, Luis Diaz on the on the wings. Maybe it's uh, whether it's uh, a Carvalho or a Firmino in behind the striker, and then you can just have two City midfielders with Henderson and, and Fabinho. But and no change though in terms of transfers. You think they're done for the? the it, sa- no? it sounds like it. Um, and the only thing, like, we would have thought maybe there would be more outgoings. But the Canati injury, Klopp said in his press conference uh, that that would affect players' outgoings. So that would suggest that somebody like Nat Phillips doesn't get loaned out if the Canati injury goes on for a few months. All right. Phil, good stuff. Thanks a million for stepping in. It's uh, 9.36 this morning. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow from half seven with Deal or No Deal, Man City Reaction with Sam Lee and much more besides. OTBAM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.